0: fields to
1: we got a really good special issue for you today It's actually our very first issue that we ever did of the Minefields comic podcast It's actually it's ones you guys probably haven't heard because it's kind of buried in our archives We've had a little bit of technical difficulty this week But we are all caught up and we're going to do the recording for all the new books tonight uh, But enjoy us recapping the entirety of Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly's run on New X-Men Which we find to be legendary and definitive and you're gonna to get to hear our old music and all that other fun stuff, so enjoy! Welcome to the Long Box, the long box. Issue 1. Issue one. <laughs> My name's Joshua Michael. This here is Colin, my best friend. Uh, we got a lot to talk about for the first half of our show that we call a short box. Let you guys know what we've been reading lately and go over all the good stuff. But uh, first off, what you been doing this
0: weekend, man? Oh, man. Let's see. I did uh, – my girlfriend and I went to the Myriad Botanical Guardians in Oklahoma City, and it was the end of their Northern Lights spectacular. I don't know if you guys know anything about this, but the uh, – The uh, city of Oklahoma City has an indoor garden that is filled with amazing tropical plants. And while you can go to a lot of places and check that out, um, it's really spectacular inside this crystal bridge is what they call it. It's a gigantic uh, glassed-in greenhouse that goes over a body of water. And um, inside they had all these lights. They had all this wonderful Christmas music playing. This was the last... I know this is after Christmas, of course, but this was uh, this was after Christmas, and they were still playing this wonderful music. And I kept trying to use the Shazam app on my iPhone, and it would not tell me anything. It would misunderstand what I was going for, so I was kind of hacked about that. But the lights on just under lights on these plants and movement, like it was like a big, it was like a nightclub in there almost, and uh, all these multi leveled areas different t- terraces and staircases to go through it was just beautiful the air smelled amazing because of you know just clean clean plant related air i loved it it was a great time that's kind of that's what i that's how i started the weekend anyways what did you do <laughs>
1: uh i actually spent uh monday tuesday and wednesday night uh talking with my friend at visiting hours over at the uh local uh, mental institution here that was a lot of fun um ex- extremely mentally draining um yeah on a lot of different levels uh one of the reasons that it was just kind of funny was when i first the first uh it was actually the second day i was there uh they were all playing uno and they asked me to play so i sat down and started playing uno and i was like hey man you guys should have told me to, uh you were playing uno i'd have brought my uh WWE Uno cards, and they all started laughing, and they gave me my hand. And on one of the wild cards, some kid had scribbled John Cena in the middle, so that was fun. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it was, it was, it was definitely a different experience. Um, you wouldn't really, on really, could tell that there was anything really wrong with these people. And they're like, "Man, you, we, you, you fit along, you know, fit along with us so well here, you know." And I was like, "Yeah, you know, I probably could do some, you know, some good here, but you know, you guys actually had the guts to actually come here to get help." And, you know, they thought that was kind of funny. Every now and then they'd intervene with, like, what's been going on in their head. You know, some guy, you know, his ex-wife, that sort of thing. But it was just really mentally draining because, you know, my friend wanted to kill herself. And when it came down to it, a lot of people were telling me, hey, don't go. It's not your job. Her husband should go. And he wasn't going. And I don't know why. And neither was her sister. And I don't know why either. But, you know, it it even weighed on me, like, why I was doing this because I was being told this is what a husband should do. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah but this is also what friends should do. And like, well, it, you shouldn't be doing this as a friend. I'm like, you don't know the type of friends that I've had. Like, you know, a lot of my friends are gay and have had a lot of mental problems and have had surrogate families. And if it wasn't for their surrogate family being for their, being there for them, I don't know what would have happened to them. And it it kind of waited me until I was re-watching Spider-Man the other night. And when he was telling Tony Stark why why he is doing it, and he's like, you know, if you can do something good and then, you don't, and then something bad happens, that's your fault. And it really, it really laid my, my anxiety to rest about that whole thing, because I don't want to be someone's surrogate husband. But at the same time, I'm not going to let down a friend. And then you know, you've know you got all these other people weighing you about it. And my instinct said, and my moral code said, you need to be there. And I did it. And I'm, I don't regret it. I'm glad I did. And if you're out there and you ever need help, you, you know, it's there that, you know, a lot of the people there said, hey, all we did a set of talk around boring stuff in color. But, you know, one or two people there might have really needed to detox. There was a lot of people there that were detoxing them.
0: Oh, man. I got that's a, all. Yeah. I got a lot of respect for you. There's Nobody should tell anybody what to do with their time. If they're doing something that's obviously harmful, I can see why someone would say something. But this isn't harmful. This is just helping somebody. There are a lot of people who are just dominated by fear in the world, and they are concerned with this idea that uh, you're going to get caught up into something that you can't handle. I think that's disrespectful because you're an adult, you make your own decisions, you're paying your own bills, you're doing everything that you can all of the time, and you're trying to help somebody who clearly needs a hand. Why would anybody give you grief over that unless they had their own hangups and they're trying to... I don't know. They're, 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 they're trying to pour out their inconsistencies on you.
1: Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And I'm sad that that any of that even affected me, but Hey, I'm human thing, you know, things, things weigh on you. You can't ignore that sort of thing. And, uh, when it comes down to it, I followed my instinct and I'd be so mad at myself if I didn't follow my instinct. Cause every time I've never followed my instinct, something, something awful happened or I missed an opportunity and i you know, That's all said and done. It's just that, you know, I'm just glad I got some sleep and that, you know, the one thing that really charges me no matter what happens during the week is that we get to sit down and talk about our favorite literature and everything that comes to our head because you're my best friend and we got each other's back. So let's talk about, uh, let's talk about what we're reading so far. Uh, What you got for a short box this week?
0: Man, I got a handful of stuff. It kind of bleeds over into last week. Even, um, I, I picked up a couple of really wonderful items, uh, on, uh, New Year's Eve. In fact, I was just driving somewhere, and I was like, "Okay, I've got a handful of minutes." So I went to a store I hadn't been to in a while because they moved, and um, I ended up getting some really great Silver Age stuff. I picked up an Avengers number forty, and uh, it's like I'm a big Submariner fan, and there he was on the cover. Uh, it was it was astonishing. I mean, like I'm not going to say that you know I'm always only going to talk. We're always only going to talk about uh new stuff because we're always getting something whether it's you know yeah there you go Mm -hmm. so i mean this book in particular was awesome i mean it was one of the first instances involving the cosmic cube and i didn't even realize that going in had subby on the cover i was like yeah i want to check that out i use a i use an app to see whether or not i've already got something because there's nothing like buying a I don't know eight, sixteen, twenty dollar book that you've already got. We don't want that to happen. So I checked. I was like, "Yeah, I don't have this one." And uh, I found it on at a good deal. Picked it up. I could not believe all of the content that was going on in there. Uh, You know, Scarlet Witch was having some uh, fainting spells because of the battle they'd just been in. Hawkeye, way back, I mean, he was trying to figure out what was going on with with the uh, Black Widow because she wasn't an Avenger yet. And, what was uh, the title of the book? Oh, let me pull it up. Let me pull it up. All right, I've got it. I just got to get it out of the plastic again. Um, it ties in directly with Tales of Suspense eighty, which is when uh, Captain America was doing some kind of a fake out with the Red Skull. Uh, basically, it was suddenly the Submariner was kind of the kind of it. It was a a Roy Thomas script with Don Heck, who I mean that's those guys were massive in the Silver Age. And uh, I'm going to talk about Don Heck again in a minute. Um, but basically, yeah, I mean, the, uh, the Avengers were down trying to deal with a the problem. They'd just been involved with the Thinker. And uh, then the Submariner shows up, and there's the Cosmic Cube is involved. Hercules fighting the Submariner. It's a real contest of skill and strength. Uh, Subby gets the Cosmic Cube. That they ju- that the Avengers had just been warned about by Captain America, and he was not immediately on the team in that moment. And uh, Subby was able to do something that we hadn't seen a whole lot of time, a whole lot back then. And he was able to shrink the cosmic cube down into an amulet, and then he started just like using its using his own mental powers to create new creatures of the sea to command and fight for him. It was really amazing. Uh, it's just it's a huge. Huge book, multiple panels on every page, just like you would come to expect from that time period. And uh, I think my favorite thing was, yeah, we've got this whole big battle, we've got the Cosmic Cube, and then ultimately everybody loses it. It falls back into obscurity. The Mole Man picks it up in the last couple of panels and is like, what's this child's toy? And just drops it. You know, Just ridiculous, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Beyond that, yeah. I mean, I got uh, I've been I've been reading the original Captain Marvel books. I'm kind of rereading them. Um I have them all Get- in single issues up to a certain point. At that same store, I managed to pick up a Captain Marvel 10 and 11. Um I have not read those yet. And uh I realize there's an there's a uh, Marvel superheroes a Marvel superheroes number thirteen. I need to pick up somewhere, though. I've been, I've already read it in reprint in my uh, Marvel Masterworks. Um, but guys, I got to tell you, I've I've become a new, a fan all over again of Gene Colan, who penciled at least the first four issues of uh, Captain Marvel and those Marvel superheroes. Dudes, go back and look at Gene Colan work. It's just phenomenal. It's uh. The guy does things with shadows you wouldn't even believe. He's got such good, clean lines. Just classic, perfect, original Marvel artwork. Uh, And then Don Heck takes over again after a certain point and uh, did a lot of those books. Um, Why don't you jump in real quick, and then we'll come back to me. Uh, Well, uh, what came out
1: this week that I was really interested in, I've got a lot of image to talk about this week, is uh, New Mm Kick-Ass. And i got to say, the New Kick-Ass has been... It's been so different from the last one. It's everything that the original Lazowski's were not. Um, this girl, who is the new kick-ass, she came back from war, needs some money, decides to start, you know, being kick-ass to, you know, get rid of the gangsters and then, you know, give the money to the poor little Robin Hood thing here. Nice. And what she does, ends up doing, is taking over a large cartel and making them legit, and they're hunting down the they're, – they're down to the last fish. And – It doesn't have that teen angst love story that goes, like, straight down the toilet that we've all had back when we were 14. It doesn't have that. That has been removed. So that that bit of anxiety that you're going to have to, like, feel that for a bit is gone. Uh Uh, What you do have is just knockdown dragout. Drag Out. It's an action movie, and it's told exceptionally well. There's nothing – it's not like a – I wouldn't say it's a five-star match. I'd say it's probably a, a three-star match at the best. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's still good. It's definitely worth owning in all the trades. Uh, Hit Girl, especially, the you new know, Hit Girl, they just wrapped up uh, issue 12. And when she's in Italy, because she's been traveling the world lately and just taking down random baddies, and she ends up in Italy, and the bad guys are an Italian mafia that is run by these extreme religious Catholic zealots. And wow. This old lady nun is has all of these uh, relics that she's trying to collect, and when one of her underlings misbehaves, she makes them um, she makes them atone. Uh huh. And it, there's only one atonation, and that is death. And she there's this awesome scene where she is strangling this guy to death with rosary beads while he is praying the rosary while she's killing him, and that was just a lot of fun the the Raphael Albuquerque art was just a lot of it was great digital work
0: uh-huh. and
1: i'll get to I'll get to my beef on digital my former beef with digital in just a second here just pulling up my notes here uh curse words uh, that issue man curse words is so much fun I really wish you were reading it uh this one is issue nineteen by Charles Soleil and Ryan Brown uh basically wizard he shows up on earth to destroy it ends up liking all the fruits of our uh sins and takes over as this kind of detective-esque wizard for hire and him and his ex-wife are hanging out and there's this crazy french guy that he did wrong and he's gaining extra power there's this perfect little koala that has uh one of the great things about that, wait literally a koala that, right literally well actually she doesn't know what she is wizard just changes her into what she wants but she, she never turns into an actual person or something that looks anthropomorphic <laughs> okay she's always like a, a different animal she doesn't know what she is and she's constantly texting someone that is obviously you know not good for her mm-hmm. and she's trying to find herself turns into a kangaroo that sort of thing uh, it's really whimsical that's what i really love about it and when i've been mean whimsical not just the writing where it's just a lot of fun but the artwork is along the lines of like chris bachalo Mm-hmm. And you know he's done a lot of work for like you know Spidey that sort of thing. He, he the, the the artist hasn't actually got to that caliber yet, but you know it's going to happen. Like remember when Ramita started doing Ramita style and it was like oh uh, what's going on here because he used to do standard standard Marvel art like when he did the first Dazzler he actually drew the first Dazzler okay. uh, Ramita Ramita Junior. Ramita Junior. Okay R- gotcha. R- R- Ramita Junior. And then when he started doing his like Ramita style that we're all Ramita Jr. style now that we're used to, mm-hmm. I remember I started going, like, what is going on here? I'm not liking it, but as it progressed, it just became his own style. And I, I kinda like kind of think of it as that when these artists take over, like it's fun dottedist type of style where anything goes. Spidey's arm could be like ten times longer than it should be, but oh, then they yeah. make it work. They make it work and also when you look at some artists panels and they really take over the entire the entire panel of of all nine or just one giant one or one big splash page and you some artists will make it look like a chore just to look at what's going on but the way they, they do it so uh, dynamically it, it really takes off and I really wish the best for this guy man he's he's got a lot to offer are you aware um, of anything
0: else that he's done
1: you know I know I have yeah. uh, but it's it's this is the one that really sticks out. Okay. So that's that that's what matters right now to me. Uh, the one comic that really stood out this week was Die Number 2. Oh, man. And I, I told you about this a month ago. Issue 2 yeah. just came out.
0: I'm looking forward to reading that. Here. I'm just trying to find a copy of it here.
1: Right. This one is done by Kiran Gillian. And let me pull up the artist here. It's beautiful digital artwork. I mean, this is the type of artwork that... You ever picked up a really good heavy metal?
0: Oh, yeah, totally. Why
1: why isn't this person doing comic books?
0: This fixes that. This is Karen Karen Gillian that's doing Star Wars now, right? Yep, and uh, Vader. Oh, man, that is some lush, that is beautiful material. That guy knows what he's doing. And um, basically, when it comes to this comic book
1: some people have described it as like a D&D fantasy type thing. I disagree. I mean, obviously it's in the line, but I think it's, it's a little bit more of a broad stroke than that. In order to really get all the intricities and all of the nuances, you really need to know just fantasy work. Fantasy, like Lord of the Rings, I mean, just as broad as you can get. Not just D&D and playing uh-huh. Magic the Gathering. If, if, if you know that, you're going to get all the intricities. However, if you don't, you're still going to love it. You're still absolutely going to love it. You, it's one of those things that I've, I've read each issue three times already. And another thing that really I love about this is that each comic book takes me about 30 minutes to read it. It's so dense. And also not just dense from words, but also dense from the artwork. You, mm. you, like it, it, Every time I turn a page, my eye shoots around, not because they haven't organized it the right way for me to follow it correctly, But everything is just so pretty, and I want to look at it all at once. And that's one of the things that makes me think this is one of the the breakthrough comics of of the year. I know it's already that early, and the last one came out um, in December. But let me pull up my notes here, man. I wrote a lot of stuff about here. Um, Another thing that stands out is how good the first two issues are as compared to the last ten issues of The Wicked and the Vine that Gillian is doing right now. Yeah. Yeah. the first, like, 30 issues of Wicked and Divine were amazing, but I noticed them slowing down a bit, not just in how they were coming out, but also they weren't as densely packed. I think by the time that he started writing Die, he was already done with his characters uh, in the Wicked and Divine because he already knew what's going to happen to them. So he's, I'm, not that he doesn't love them anymore, but he was already disconnected. He's finished that story and just, you know, doing the loose ends to finish the last couple. I think they only have, like, five or six issues left, if that. And let's see here.
0: I mean, how far out do you think that he's got his material built before? Uh, I think he's. I think he, said he, read, he started writing this comic almost two years
1: ago when he was at a party with some friends. Cool, and fi- he'd been wanting to do a. Uh, he wanted to do a story with this person for a really long time, and then finally, all the all the pieces just came together at a party when everyone decided, "Yeah, let's do this." And they even got the right letterist. I mean, down to the. Down to the, the, the bare bones of how to make this happen. Like how when you and I decided to do this podcast, everything just happened right away. All of a sudden, the money showed up. We've got the recorder. We've got the microphones, We've got the the intro song. We've got the structure. We, we nailed that so fast in just like one one car ride. And that's definitely one of the, the signs of providence that really sticks out and shows that something is really going to work. Awesome. Uh, last but not least uh prodigy mark millar is doing that right now
0: yeah i miss him
1: uh this one's kind of classic millar it's not it's not the type of millar like jupiter circle where i i didn't like any of that sort of stuff this is along the lines of like uh, nemesis and kick ass Mm -hmm. and obviously uh, this is about a really smart guy that he can figure anything out he can split his personas in five different ways just for him to think in one second or He thinks for, in regular time for one second, he split himself into five different aspects of himself to, like, analyze a problem in five different ways. And one second's gone by, but he's actually been in his head for, like, you know, 30, 45 minutes. And super rich, uh, not the Bruce Wayne type way. I mean, this guy has billions to spend. Uh, Extra-dimensional people are coming to get what was promised to them from a – like a guild of rich elitists that are obviously descended into hellfire club type debauchery where they're having parties where they're hunting little kids and they're even, even their kids are there participating to hunt the kids. And it's got a bit of a supernatural tinge. Uh, For example, when they showed the prison that the kids were, were stuck in, there was a giant Baphomet on the wall and he performs this bit of magic to just hypnotize someone and for them not to remember something. Um, It's definitely worth It's definitely worth a read if one of your friend has it. I mean, if this is up your alley, buy it. I mean, what I said is, like, you you heard all that and wanted to buy it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go get it. Um,
0: But if not, it's definitely worth a – this is a trade paperback reader for sure. Oh, right on. There's so much now that I can't tell what's going on from one story to the next. If I picked up this issue or that issue, you know, my life doesn't work where I can just go to the comic book store every time, every Wednesday, you know, or – thursday on holidays and then i'm in all these different towns so every time i go to another place i look at the wall or i look in Mm i look at the new releases and i'm like man i don't know whether or not i've got this i recognize that cover that i see it in previews that i see it at another store did i do i already have this because that's what we're talking about we've all got a short box full of stuff we're waiting to read and we're trying to trying to churn through a little bit so we can maintain Mm -hmm. our forward momentum with our books but and I get stuck with that too, so when things come out in trade, there's definitely things that I'm waiting for now, for real. Well, well,
1: well, just real quick, uh, I wanted to make sure uh, we mentioned the uh, artist on Die. It's uh, Stephanie Hans, mm-hmm. and and also the artist on Kick-Ass and Prodigy is Raphael Albuquerque. And just I wanted to make a quick point, uh, real quick, when it comes to the art. This is all digital art, and about like up until last month, I've had a real beef with with digital art because I I, I believe the artwork should exist in real real existence. You know, if there's a an EMP and all the art is gone, but then I saw uh, the new Spider-Man movie, Into the Multiverse, and oh yeah, what they did what they did with digital art was I imagine what it was like when um, Bill Hicks first took his first hit of acid <laughs> and started and. And I, I felt, it made me feel like a dinosaur because I, I didn't think it could really go off like that. And then Die comes up. Raphael Albuquerque's doing so much better. And I just wanted to just step on that. you know, Don't write off digital artwork. It sucks if it's gone. But what they're doing right now is leaps and bounds above what anyone could have imagined in the past. And I was thinking about this uh, y- the other night. Wouldn't it be just a hoot to just go back in time and show people that were really into the Avengers in 1965
0: – the first Avengers movie. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine what they'd think. I mean, in, in, the the whole scope of what you could do with film, let alone what these characters were going to become. And then for any of them to be looking at it and go, how did it nail down? And how did you guys narrow it down to just doing this story? You know, And then you're going to go in and you're going to say, well, uh, you're not going to believe it, but these characters were so good that we decided to do the Ultimates. And uh, this story is basically kind of ripped out of the pages of the Ultimates, which is a retelling of things that you're getting for the first time ever. You know what I mean? I do. It'd be plain
1: and Johnny be good, except they'd actually like it because they'd want that sort of stuff. <laughs> Especially the guys in the '70s that were really into like Adam Warlock and Howard the Duck and stuff,
0: right? Oh man yeah there's plenty to talk about when it comes to that. the psychedelia aspect and the kind of the i guess i i, I got I have to borrow from what I've been reading lately and uh talk about how that, that that's basically kind of punk at the time, looking at the ebbs and flows Absolutely. of the entire industry what the market what you know people what 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 the market is and you know war weariness and where are we gonna go with these characters things are Things have changed a lot, and they've changed a lot of times for all of these for all of these titles and all of these creative teams.
1: Right, and my point is to, you know, don't just get stuck in a rut. And I felt like an idiot thinking, you know, anything against uh, digital art, especially when, when I remember what Diodata can do on paper. And then I saw all the crazy stuff he's doing on Old Man Logan. I'm like, man, I just wish this was real and I could buy it. And then after, after watching, you know, Spider-Man multiverse, man, that... That just blew me away. Like it was just a bunch of kids that, you know, you're you're uh, you're Iron Maiden. You think you're so heavy, and then Slipknot shows up, and you're like, "What is this garbage?" And then mm-hmm. all the kids, are, everyone's buying it. And I, I refuse for that to be me. That's that's my point, and I hope everyone else can learn to be the same way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess that's that's a really good point. Like, don't get so. Don't buy so heavily into one avenue of the media that you won't look at something else. I grew up a very sheltered person, and I just, when I was a kid in the 80s, you know, rap. Man, don't touch it. Don't have anything to do with it. Don't don't even consider it. And I I grew up in the middle of the Midwest, too, and it was like, okay, yeah, well, I don't want to have anything to do with country either. It's just idiotic. My nine-year-old the other day was like, I want to listen to anything but country, and I'm going, man, there's some really accessible country that doesn't sound so uh, twangy that you'd probably dig. And I bet there's some twangy stuff out there that you'd probably like, too. You just can't shut your door. You just can't shut the door to what something's going to be like Uh, and whether or not it's going to tell you a good tale or it's going to express a feeling that you – we can all, you know – we can all share the experience. It just depends on how somebody wants to tell it. I think what am i mean, even now, all these years later, some man, there's so many rap songs that I like. There, I, I, you know, there's nothing I'm opposed to, uh, except for some commercials. <laughs> there's some stuff in commercials yeah. I'm like, no, mute it. Don't want to have it. Just get it out of Dude, my. Dude, the,
1: the other day I was watching TV with my mom and I a random commercial came up and it was a kit kat commercial a kit kat commercial let me just yeah. put that in perspective and they start playing missy ell you know like put my thing down flip it and reverse it really they played that song in a in a kit kat commercial and just muted out like the bad ones <laughs> yeah and i was like oh okay this is this is happening now this is this is acceptable okay that's fine i think a big problem is with um especially americans Is that we're not ready for a global society right now, and to deal with anyone, anyone else's ideas, and everyone just wants to stay everything to stay the same and not change, and that's just an ignorant point of view because otherwise, it's gonna. Well, it's happening right now. Everything's getting polarized. Everything is right or wrong. There's no middle ground. There's no gray ground. There's no agreeing. If you're a Democrat or whatever, they hate you, and I'm supposed to hate you. And uh, no, I only like metal music. I don't like rap music. Are you kidding me? Some of the coolest dudes I've ever met. Uh, were black dudes that were in the metal oh wow yeah and, <laughs> and yeah I, I it's it's one of those it's one of those uh great stereotypes i have i have never met a black dude that was in the metal that wasn't one of the coolest dudes i ever met in my life and everyone liked him and i, I just want people to be <laughs> to be better like that you know and we were talking about it the other day about how you know we are kind of we are Marvel guys. Obviously, we oh, yeah. talk about what we want. I I love a lot of indie comic books, but I find myself sometimes not even browsing through the DC, the DC area of my comic shop. And the last time I did that was a mistake because da- Batman Damned came out and the Batman Who Laughs was out that week, and both of them sold out immediately. And thank God they were able to get me uh, first copies because I hate reading second prints. It just drives me nuts. I hate being Johnny Come Lately on that. Oh but, yeah, I yeah. That was that was. I I just got to keep making sure that I, okay. Even look at the Dark Horse and Omniprint, whatever. Uh, IDW has some amazing stuff right now. I, I, the new Ninja Turtles is phenomenal. Oh, yeah? I have, not, I have not missed an issue since number one. The artwork is amazingly consistent and never lets go. Issue number 50, when Splinter cuts off the Shredder's head and then takes over the Foot Clan, oh, I was frozen at work. I, I took way too long of a break because it, it was such
0: a big comic, and I had to just sit down and digest it. Let's look at that point, though, that to- – I really dig that when, when the good guy has to take over the bad guys to control them. That is something that I've toyed with in some of my own fiction. That's something that is a major plot point in, uh, in something that I was working on a little bit ago. And I think that that's like, I I take that going back to like old Marvel GI Joe kind of. Oh yeah. That's, that's a little, it's a little dicey to go there, but um, I know that, you know, you had, uh, you had, you, of course, Elektra taking over the hand, and then Daredevil taking over Hell's Kitchen. I mean, mm-hmm. this is this is a good theme. I like this theme. If you're going to control mm-hmm. a bunch of petulant children and make them come to, you know, have that come to Jesus moment and stick with you, so that you know, you need a kingpin. I'm your kingpin. That was a good moment, I think, in comics. Speaking of kingpin and the exact
1: uh, exact uh, concept you're talking about. Kingpin is the mayor of New York City right now, and he's doing a damn good job at it, and everyone loves him. When did
0: that start? Is that out of uh, Amazing Spider-Man right now? And Daredevil. And Daredevil? And, every- and everything Hell's Kitchen. I have such a backlog of Daredevil to, to, to read. Um, you know, Sometimes I think the only thing that's going to happen is I'm going to get hit by a bus, survive it, just be in a, in a hospital room for whatever. But honestly, every now and again, it's just like, okay, hey, just go back ten issues, sit down and start reading it, you know? There's so much stuff that I'm reading that doesn't have anything to do with the street-level New York stuff. And I want to go back to that point you made just a second ago. Like, yeah, we talk about Marvel a lot. But I think that's just because that's what we grew up on and that's what – you know, it's something we identify with. There's already so much going on in this one universe that it's hard for me to find the time to branch out and do something else and uh part of the reason why why we wanted to do this podcast i think was just like hey well, at the very least we talked about five things a week that we wrote, that we read that we liked and we what we didn't like about stuff like that you know hey we're at least we're working through the material uh to me it's always a case of i'm going to wake up and i want to read some stuff for a while and then as i've read a couple of issues and had my coffee then i'm ready to get up and tackle some things in the day but uh you and yeah
1: you and i yeah. have a you and i have a one up on this by the way uh, for example, uh, most people only have room in their lives once they, you know, get out of college for like five friends that they can really pay attention to. And, you know, they miss people, but they can't really get along, you know, to, to, to get to them or even to message them all the time. Cause they've, they've got the, the five people in their life. However, mm-hmm. you and I now have long box podcast. And <laughs> one of the, gr- one of the great things is, is that I have to read and, now, when people ask me what I'm doing, and I tell them I'm doing research for my podcast, they leave me the hell alone because they know this is important to me. And I can knock out ten comic books in, in maybe two hours and have the time to get caught up on my short box and have the time to, you know, what? I think I might check out, you know, the new Supergirl or I hear uh, I keep hearing wondrous things about the new uh, Wonder Woman, and I've got all the Grant Morrison uh, Green Lanterns, and I still haven't read them yet. I hear they're good. I'm sure they're good. Because every time Dude. he takes over a, a GM, guy takes yeah. risks. What do you want to do? Yeah. he takes risks. Hey, did you get all? Uh, did you get those uh, three things I sent you about those? Uh, there's that full movie of him that we need to check out that he did, and there's also I sent you that disinformation podcast. And when you mentioned magic earlier about exploring, like you know, kind of the esoteric, occultist type things, the first book I got on uh, occultism was the Disinformation Book of Lies. And the very first chapter was Grant Morrison talking about – he did the intro, but he also did the how to basically start, and it's doing sigil magic, and that
0: works. Did you send that to me as a text message or as a, like a Facebook messenger thing? Facebook messenger thing. Okay, and I don't know that I got that today. Man, it's been a bunch. It's been a lot. It's like
1: it's 45 minutes long, and it's the disinformation where he – he's given a speech – And he's talking about the time when he's, if I remember correctly, when he was just meditating, performing magic. I believe this is one of the times where he was taking drugs. And uh, John Lennon came and gave him a a lost Beatles song. And he he learned how to play it. And every time he plays it for people, they're
0: like, yeah, that sounds like a Beatles song, man. (laughs) That's pretty – I mean, I'm not going to say that isn't amazing. But uh, I can think of a lot of other guys I'd rather hear from than – than john lennon sorry that's that's not the voice that's the that's the voice of a different generation for for sure to me i'm just not a beatles guy but me uh, me either yeah no you know i mean i just finished reading uh super gods today or at least i listened to it on audible and i gotta say i really uh i really uh loved that presentation i loved the uh the guy that uh did the uh the reading i gotta figure out what his name was but um uh man, yeah, he talked about that. He talked about his first forays into magic. He talked about uh doing every spell he could with or without any kind of psychedelic drugs. Um, I gotta say, like the real you know, there's a lot of things to take away from that book. It's super gods, by the way. Super gods by Grant Morrison. Um, and uh I think we're gonna talk a little bit more about that later, but I think the thing that really got to me most was he, he published this book in, like, t- 2011, I think. And you can just see how the whole world was turning superheroes. And everything superhero movies, it has so changed since just that book came out. It's a totally different world for comics, especially with the Marvel movies and the DC movies. And uh, one of the points he made was all of these independent storylines, like Kick-Ass and, like, uh, The Authority... Uh, and some other things that just kind of, hey, yeah, I think in the last couple of chapters you said it took 40 years to get Spider-Man on the screen, and it took some others, you know, <laughs> 40 weeks once it was published. It was, I think that maybe that has a lot to do with, you know, the fan base, we, these these people in marketing and these uh, producers and writers working on the material have to wonder whether or not they're going to get a lot of fan backlash It's going to get them negative press and less ticket sales. If they're using somebody that have they, they have a really hard time trying to convey to an audience, and then I turn around and I think about Venom. I watched Venom last night, and I I texted you about that, and you were like, "No way, <laughs> it was terrible." You didn't it like was it was terrible.
1: In it, I, I I had to stop it when as soon as he started running amok as Venom when he was first getting used to it. I was like, "This is silly. I can't believe I spent two bucks at the Red Box for this." When you're mm-hmm. talking about uh, marketing, I was thinking about that on the way home, and I was listening to Chris Jericho's podcast when he was talking about uh, lost items or history of, of comic books and marketing. And now that they're you know, you know, if it's su- superhero movies are saturating everything, I'm worried about oversaturation. But at the same time, I'm you know, it, you know, things always change. Mm-hmm. What I really hope stays um, in the forefront in Hollywood people's minds is that if it was in a comic book and it sold well to people that don't have that much money, because not everyone that buys most people that don't buy that buy comic books are usually scrimping and scraping for their for their comics because they need to have the physical things. A lot of people aren't actually actively seeking the source material in in the original prints,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: except you know except us is to know that yeah, if it's in a comic book and it sold X amount. Sure, they can come up with some algorithm. They're like, okay, then maybe we can make a movie out of it. I mean, they took chances way back in the day in the, uh, in, what was it, in the late 90s, or early 2000, when Ghost World came out. Who thought Daniel Close would ever have
0: a movie? Oh, man, no kidding. And somehow or and another, that, I mean, that's that's a big difference, though. Think about the difference between a Daniel Close book and Spider-Man in 2002. Or, you know, hey, we had Superman in, the, in what, 76 and 19, what, 80 or so, thereabouts. And then we had... Uh, we had Batman in 89, and those were gigantic leaps of faith for those, uh, for Warner Brothers to get those off the ground. But that's a big difference. It's like, what could you do? And then looking at, like, Ghost World in that time period, that's an accessible that, – that's something that's within reach. That isn't a ton of special effects, and I don't think you needed one person to carry that movie in particular – I think that's the beauty of Daniel Close. You can you can take some risks on all that. Like I finally just saw Art School Confidential recently. Oh, oh, you know what the great thing about Art School Confidential is, man? There's a lot of great uh, things. Well, well, not just all,
1: all the <clears throat> obviously most of that movie was amazing. But I went to art school. Every single character in that movie <laughs> literally exists in in everything. Like down to the depressed, divorcee art history teacher. That mm-hmm. it just bums everyone out, and then of course we had uh, at OU we had Bob, who is uh, basically John Malkovich's character, who is banging all the hot chicks and or or whoever, whatever he wanted, teaching uh, teaching whatever he wanted. And he was the big blowhard that everyone was tired of, that the teachers were tired of, but the the, the kids thought he was just you know the you know the best
0: in the world. Um, and I'm so glad you didn't tell me you
1: saw that man. That makes me happy.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. I, mean, I probably I don't know if I did or not. It was it was a couple of months ago. I think it was. That was the thing. It was just it was on TV. I know I'm probably uh, old school. People give me a lot of grief about being an old guy, and I'm really not that old. But I grew up watching stuff on TV, and I've got cable. Uh, I've got TV cha- I've got movie channels, and it just happened to be on. And I was like, man, I, I, you know, I can. I there was nobody in particular in that movie that was like, hey, I've got to see this because John Malkovich is in it. I no. think I think that he had a little bump in the uh you know being john malkovich time frame and then what are we all watching we're all watching bird box and he's in it but nobody's watching it because he's in it i didn't know he was in it until it was on he's a box office draw sure but this isn't um oh what dangerous liaisons or uh uh what was that one where he portrayed klaus van Bülow? oh my gosh i'm just mad you didn't say con air right away oh dude con air <laughs> Nobody went to see it because he was in it. It wasn't – people went to see it because it was Nick Cage, which is crazy. I still can't believe he's a box office draw. I had uh, National Treasure on the other day, and uh, my mother will watch that over and over and over again. It's just one of those guilty pleasure movies. Like me, I got three words for you on that one. What? You got? That's what? high praise. Huh? I got three words for you on that one. That's high praise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I mean – Box office draws. I mean, what did we what did we go to see in in Ghost World? You know, yeah, people liked Thora Birch then, but Steve Buscemi was in it, and then who was the guy that uh, was in the was in the gas station or the convenience store? I can't remember that, the name of that. He that was the kid from The Client. Yeah. That
1: was. Uh, look he, it up. he committed suicide a couple years ago. That was really sad. Um, yeah.
0: God. Brad Renfro. Brad Renfro. Did you pull? Did you look that up, or did you just pull that up out of nowhere?
1: Pull it up out of nowhere, Brad Renfrew, I just to had to think of app. I just had to think of app puper real quick.
0: Oh, um, dude, for real, yeah. that's a oh, that kid had a really good catalog, a really good uh, CV. Um, his his then what uh, he was in a uh, oh the one he was in the movie Harrison with the Ford. boy from uh, Jurassic Park that it was about AIDS. But the little boy had AIDS. Man, let me see if I could cross reference this, but. Talk about Scarlett Johansson in Ghost World. I mean... Oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't see her
1: coming, man. Yeah. I, I didn't see her coming. I Like, I was all about Thora Birch, man. Like, I thought, man, if why is she having trouble? If I was in that town, I would have closed that deal. That would have been
0: my girlfriend. I didn't like, think she was she, that, you know, amazing in it. I mean, acting, she was awesome, but I wasn't looking at her, and I was like, yeah, she's the beautiful one. I remember seeing that movie, and... Enid was upset with her because she was already obviously attractive and that was a, that was a hurdle for their characters. And I was like, man, I'm, uh, I'm not going there. I think it was a couple of years later. And I remember walking through like a target with a, a, a girl friend of mine and we were, we were flipping through a magazine. I was like, that girl is gorgeous. Who is that? And I was surprised that it was Scarlett Johansson and now she's everywhere and she's like the thing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. man i gotta figure this and out i love cross-referencing cast and crew stuff like being I being an imdb I of myself yeah i get lost in it too
1: oh, man. oh sophia sophia Joseph miles Mazzolo. was in was in uh art school confidential too she was the girl that he was pining after the whole time oh she was beautiful she was in underworld and God, there was another thing she was in I can't remember, but, uh, we're, we're actually running out of time, man. Actually, uh, I got, oh, yeah. I, I want to wrap this up. I want to wrap this up from one of, uh, for our readers. Cause I want to make sure we always leave them off on a good high note. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from art school confidential, uh, if you remember that there was that big artist that was coming to, uh, visit and everyone was just freaking out about it was, uh, Adam Scott's character. Okay. And he, he flat out calls the, the guy interviewing him that, you know, was so excited. He was there bringing the school prestige Called an asshole, and <laughs> and everyone everyone shows up with all these like smart questions that they're going to ask if they get the chance, and someone asked him, what do you do to be a good artist? And he's like, "There's no secret, you know. I'm probably messing up this quote completely, but he's, there's no secret to being a great artist. In order to be a great artist, you simply have to be a great artist." And that hit me right in the guts when I was in, in art school because I, I already am a good artist. And I, I was learning nothing. And what I realized, you go to art school to be an art teacher and to struggle. And I, I wasn't having it. I've got like a year left on that degree. I, I didn't bother. I finished it with my English. But, yeah, it, if you want to be a good artist,
0: you simply have to be a good artist. That's that's all there is to it. Do you think – how much do you prescribe – or I guess like – do you, is it, is it like what we say, what, one of our favorite quotes from Ghostbusters, we've got the tools and we've got the talent. Is it just having it's, the experience or, or what? It's
1: both. It's both. There's some people that, you know, work and work and work and eventually get to where they want. Obviously the work has to be there. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't just be a good artist and then just like, you know, crap on a, on a canvas and someone's going to pay a million dollars for it. The, the, the light has to be inside of you and you got to nurture it, really work towards it. But if you just want to be something, you're scrapping, and you scrap and scrap and scrap, and you finally get there. I mean, you might not be the 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 Grant Morrison, you might be the Mark Millar. I, obviously, I put uh, GM over pretty much everyone when it comes to, <laughs> to writing. You might not be that, but you can still be a Mark Millar. You had the tools, and you had the talent because you worked for it. But yeah, it, it's all there for you. Just uh, and that's why we wanted to do this just to immerse ourselves, to find other artists and writers to talk to and. Uh, we really want you guys to to write into us. Um let me pull up the email real quick. We will make sure we'll give you a shout out if you've got a question, if we got something wrong, hey,
0: point it out. You oh yeah. Happy. There's no prizes galore. I got a whole box of no prizes over here.
1: Yeah. And it's uh Josh <laughs> and Colin at the it's Colin and Josh at the
0: longboxpodcast.com. Oh, thanks for putting me first. I did not realize. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. Uh I guess the last thing I can say About any of that that business is, uh, you gotta you gotta go with uh, you know Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley and the rest of Kiss. You go back to God gave rock and roll to you. If you want to play, if you want to, if you want (laughs) to, I gotta get it right, man. If you want to play music or play guitar, you've got to sweat or you won't get far because it's never too late to work nine to five. And that's one of those things that keeps me going and keeps me trying to do creative things. And God help me if I misquoted that because that's just gonna make me sound dumb but
1: no no it's, it's better you, that you mis man. no no it's way better that you misquoted it because if Gene Simmons actually said that we'd be getting like a, a letter and a lawyer knocking on the door <laughs> uh, demanding some money for whatever little bit we we made off this podcast, which is nothing uh, but i I'm sure one of, we'd
0: have to shell out something to gene Simmons <laughs> you remember do you remember uh the you remember the the vampire the masquerade RPG oh, yeah. games? Oh, yeah. I always, I always like the uh, idea that if you wanted to, uh, if you wanted to invoke Cain, the original vampire, into your life, you there were these ways to do it, and if that was like your goal for the game, that's how you get Gene Simmons to show up at your door is you you make money off of Kiss and don't don't throw some back at him. But I got nothing, nothing but fun stuff to say about. About Gene all right, Simmons. so we're all synced up, and uh, it's time to start talking personal personal about our uh, Longbox box article, article for this, this week. For and uh, we have probably, probably up for the day. pulled something uh, out that be prepared for the next uh, the saving. last half I don't of the podcast, uh, uh, podcast is
1: coming up right now for the Longbox. We're going to talk Morrison's about new run, X-Men,
0: on but, uh, new X Men. Uh, let us know what you what you want to hear. Starting in year two thousand, see you next week. And with new X Men, they rebranded the title. It was X Men that. Off the top of my head, I can't recall who was writing it when it came out. I just remember in 1993 having Jim Lee X-Men comics that I was tracing uh, because Wolverine looked so cool, and Psylocke, and oh man, even Jubilee. All these characters just look cooler than I'd ever seen them before. I just remember being in Detroit with my aunt, uh, my grand-aunt and uh, uncle, And uh, some cousins. And when I had my own time, I was sitting there drawing, redrawing Jim Lee. Uh, So, new X-Men with Grant Grant Morrison. That has, that's really the best and the most important X-Men I've ever read. It has always got me. Uh, I accidentally picked up, I think, the first trade paperback or randomly, the first issue of the run, number 114, while I was working at Speeding Bullet Comics in Norman, Oklahoma. And uh, I just started reading it. (laughs) It blew my mind. What do you got to say about it?
1: Well, first off, I really am looking forward to this conversation because we both reread it, and we're going through it, and we've got a lot of points that we've gone through about it. Uh, I love the fact that uh, you were you're, – you're a little bit older than me, but you didn't go into it as that crazy fanboy like, I got to have all the toys. I got to have all the comics. I got to make sure I'm up at 7 a.m. to watch the, the story. I had the T-shirts when I was like 11 years old. I had the shorts to match the shirt. Um, it's going to be interesting, especially hearing it from someone that was a little bit more conscious than me and had a, a lot more maturity than me as opposed to me being the child. Being an X-Men, because X-Men is one of my favorite things in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Granted, that's why I just wanted to interject that that little bit of nugget before we actually get into it. But but listeners, like, be prepared. We're going to get really intricate on this sort of thing. And if you have any sort of uh, feedback or if we didn't cover something well enough or you disagree, do not hesitate to tell us that we suck or that we're, you know, right on point. But we're just talking about this about being writers (laughs) – and being fanboys, and and really analyzing why it's good, not just because it's a good spicy meatball.
0: I'm going to say that uh, my real... I'm going to say what I just said about uh, 1993 Jim Lee X-Men. I was not a million percent aware of the X-Men like I should have when I started reading these books. My familiarity began... Pretty much with the cartoon series of the 90s, like I think a lot of people. Because, really and truly, I was spending my buck 25 on Amazing Spider-Man. There were hologram issues to pick up. Oh, you had to get all of the covers. I was reading The Round Robin Cycle. I was fascinated by that stuff. And there's, there's, there were like four X titles. Like, what am I supposed to be reading here? I couldn't tell. And I based my concept as a kid on... I'm picking this up because the cover looks like it incorporates all of these characters, and that's my value. It was an erroneous concept. Um, but uh, my my idea of the X-Men came from the comics. And I never, for some reason, had a good bead on what Jean Grey was. Or even Cyclops, for that matter. And then one day, I go to see the movie. I see... Uh, I see James Marsden as Cyclops, who happens to be from my hometown, or at least he Oklahoma. went to high school here. Sorry, his, his sister his sister teaches
1: still in uh, Oklahoma City. My ex girlfriend, uh, her uh, kids went at, or were one of her students. Oh, no kidding! On? Yeah, yeah. All right,
0: all right. Yeah, James Marsden. Uh, uh, who else? I mean, and then Fomka Jensen as Jean Grey. I ended up working with her on a movie. Uh, she like, directed a movie I did in uh, Guthrie, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma City in 2010. And I
1: can't um, be salivating right now because that woman was just her, like just absolutely losing it, murdering people in Goldeneye.
0: <laughs> Goldeneye, man, uh, it's a game I've never managed to master. There's a lot of other games I can pull out that I can play, but for some reason I can't run around and do that. So maybe that just obviously- makes me lame. I've got a 64 and we're living together. We'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. (laughs) You beat my uh, butt handily that one time we played it. Anyway, um, I mean, so yeah, I saw the movies. I'm a Patrick Stewart fan. I've been a Trek Trek dork my entire life. Uh, And um, there was Hugh Jackman. Okay, cool. We got a reasonable guy cast as Wolverine. This was my exposure to the X-Men. So one day I'm working at Speeding Bullet. I pick up this book and I'm like, why is this artwork so odd? It was Frank Quietly, and it really just bewildered me. And I I flip through it, and I'm looking at it, and I'm going, I don't understand what's going on. This just started in the middle of something, and it was Cassandra Nova, an amazing villain, right out of the gate, uh, trying to activate Sentinels using the, like, voice synthesis of a... uh, Dentist. Nephew. Yeah, the dentist (laughs) nephew of Bolivar Trask... The designer of the Sentinels. And if we, uh, if, you, if you know what the Sentinels are, awesome, you should. If you don't know, the Sentinels are uh, mutant-killing robots that are, like, 20 to 50 feet tall, depending. And um, she,
1: had a, she had a freaking Master Mold in the Savage Land. It was amazing.
0: <laughs> I know. The Master Mold is – I, 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 I've, I you know I have to go back and look at it, but I'm like, is that the Master Mold or is it a Master Mold? I mean, are we talking about X-Men number 16 Master Mold or is it something different? So they activate this thing, and they launch these things on Genosha. Now, Genosha was a, 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 an island nation that was enslaving mutants. And then the mutants went down there. There was an uprising. They took over the place and made it into a Extinction paradise for them. The baby. Sorry? Extinction agenda, baby. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, so Magneto... Is, you know, I don't know if he's a constitutional monarch or if he's an absolute dictator or whatever, but uh, he's running the place and we see him get blown up. So right out of the gate, Grant Morrison has killed Magneto, the quintessential mutant supervillain or hero, depending on who you happen to be reading. If you're like reading X-Men Uncanny 200 or whatever, you know, or I don't know what. So, I mean... To get you get this crazy new villain who kills the guy that helps her out and you have all of this wonderful artwork going on it was weird when i it weird weird and dreamy when i saw it the first time and then i came back to it and i started looking at all of the the like the x uh i don't know like the metaphors it's not a metaphor it's just it's drawn in but it's like you've got blood spurts in an x you've got new uniforms for the x-men and there's x's all over them i mean there's so much stuff to launch off here with.
1: I agree. Um, let's talk about a quick synopsis of what's going on first, because uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot of good points we, we had to talk about. Give me, uh, From what I remember, um, Cassandra Nova takes over. The uh, Sentinels just launched that crazy-ass attack, destroyed Denosha. We think uh, Magneto's dead. Um for some reason, Xavier grows a set that he's never had before, and we launch into that story where they have to destroy the, the Sentinels, which is fine. They go back to the island, they find Polaris, they find a couple of the old Brotherhood guys fighting,
0: and they, they you know they settle things down. The uh, they get down there, you know, Genosha was destroyed, and um, the sole survivor was in fact Emma Frost. Who, for whatever reason, you know, what, you know, where's she been and why is she down there and why does she look like this now, has experienced a secondary mutation. So has Beast. We're Hello. reintroduced to Beast and he doesn't look like a werewolf anymore. Uh what's up? All right. Do the
1: synopsis mm-hmm. and then we go into okay because we're gonna get we gotta really condense this. Do the synopsis about what the story happens in the first. Uh, six issues that first, the first uh, storyline, and then launch into why Emma Frost could. But then go into why, like, the bullet points of the um, did you uh, cut segmentation, uh, segmentation, uh everything okay. you have on your list here. Emma and the protesters. I kind of
0: did this stuff in order so that we get a synopsis. Let's try it. Okay, are you cut or are you going? Still going. Okay, good. So one. Go for it. Go ahead. So, uh, I mean, yeah, we've got a secondary mutation going on. Apparently, every one of these mutants is going to go through a secondary mutation. Some of them, it changes their entire outward appearance, and some of them, it just adds some new skill. And I, I, you know, but simultaneously, it just seemed like it was something that we could do to a convenient character. Yeah, Emma Frost is suddenly capable of turning into her diamond form, and uh, that's what saved her. So the X-Men rescue her. And of course, you want to take in this person who caused you so much trouble all those years ago. What was it, in 138? You just picked up that issue, right?
1: No, I was, I was about to buy it, and you told me you have it, you're, you're going to give it to me. <laughs> oh,
0: what well, that is
1: not what I said.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, the uh, um, they've gone down and they've rescued Emma Frost. Uh, she's, you know, bit, I guess... Billeted with the X-Men now up in uh, Westchester. And um, we get into this whole business where we've got Cyclops and we've got Wolverine out there rescuing somebody. So there's this whole kind of X-Men international concept where Charles has been sending people through the use of the new Cerebra system to go find mutants in distress. Love Love Cerebra. Uh, there's
1: a couple things I feel I feel like you glanced over a little bit too easily. Is one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation with you mm-hmm. because I think Grant Morrison is a genius. Yeah. Um. In the weird psychedelic chaos magician, he can be coherent when he wants to, and be ridiculous when he also when he lets loose. You. Glanced over the idea of making the X-Men more relevant with the secondary mutation. Yeah, and also the, the new appearance of Beast. So it, yeah. it's making everything more relevant as the ball is snowballed. Okay. Not, not only is uh, we've got a better villain, Cassandra Nova, secondary mutation, feral beast, but the idea of a feminine version of Cerebro in an actual storyline where it, that someone didn't say, hey, uh, everything's got to be girl-boy neutral now. No, no. He did it just because it fit in his story, and it worked so perfectly. Better than what uh, Cerebro was. I mean, obviously, he took the uh, the Latin or the, the uh, Spanish versions were oh, a feminine male. But oh, – wow.
0: I've never thought about it like that. <laughs> the snowball is
1: just growing. I'm like I, – I, and, and I remember reading this and just getting more engrossed in the story. Okay, like I didn't hate Emma Frost. I obviously didn't trust her, but I saw – like he hooked me so well, I knew why they would take her back,
0: you know, to Westchester. Great. I'm not going to lie. I didn't know anything about her, you know. I had never seen any of the Hellfire Club stuff before that. Never-
1: to really go off of her, other than just being that slutty chick that, like, can turn into diamonds and stuff. But, he really, everything just kept snowballing into better and better and better, and, and like, the issue would end, and, like, damn, I gotta wait a month. Yeah, I mean, oh, you were, were you reading these uh, concurrently? No, 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 I actually, well, I did read them concurrently, but I didn't read them when they came out. I read them only recently when you uh, forced me, I remember when we were working at Speeding Bullet, (laughs) and we were up the the diamond shipment for that Tuesday to, to put it everything out for Wednesday, mm-hmm. and you just you just freaked out about that omnibus, and I'm like, why haven't I read oh, this? Oh like, yeah, so mad at me for having not read it. As an X Men fan, you're like, why the hell haven't you read it? But let, let's get back on track. Yeah, um, we're we're talking about, and I really like all your bullet points so far because we're we're snowballing onto why this is genius. I mean, we're talking about Ross, uh, you, you left off on Cerebra and. Uh, Let's talk about Cassandra Nova getting into Charles.
0: I mean, that's the whole – that's that, that's the crux of so many of the issues in the first volume. I've got a lot of this in single issues because I just couldn't help myself. I picked them up. But when I started to see the hardbacks come out, I've got all three volumes. They're some of my favorite things. I've loaned these things out and got them back, but I get a deposit, um, like you said about your equipment the other day. But uh, – mm. Yeah, so, I mean, that's the that's the crux of the first volume, is that Cassandra Nova finds her way to sneak back in through the mentality of Charles and takes over his mind. Who is she? What's her motivation? <laughs> we don't find this out until sometime later when, uh, in the silent issue. Later. It was Sorry. like 14 issues later. It was like oh, 14 yeah. issues
1: later. When uh, Beak loses his mind, possessed by her, and, and beats beat, Beast to death, oh, halfway to death.
0: Yeah. And, and we don't even know. It, and, and Charles is already halfway to the freaking Shi'ar Empire. Exactly. That's the point. She took over Charles. And her motivation is that she was the unborn child twin, the unborn twin of Charles Xavier uh, that he apparently ate and, uh, in the womb. That's Grant Morrison right there. I'm gonna come at you with something that is completely weird that you would never expect. Now I'm pull up Constantine. <laughs> oh man, for real. So you've got somebody that everybody trusts and who is their leader, and they're possessed. And someone who is doing it so well that his personality has been buried somewhere. And then what does he do? He comes out, or what does she do as Charles? She comes out and reveals to the world. The X-Men has been a superhero team for decades. We're mutants. We're solving mutant problems. Mutants are not your enemies. Now they've gone public. And then she's just like, I need to go back to space. I need to go deal with the Shi'ar. Because, of course, for a while, Chuck was married to Lilandra, uh, the yeah. empress of the Shi'ar Empire. So he, he she gets lost... And then they've got all these protesters out there who are bugging the crap out of the, uh, out, of, out of the school, out of the uh, Xavier School. And they're spray painting stuff all over the place. They've got picket signs. <laughs> Emma Frost, this is another Grant Morrison thing. I don't think anybody else would have the guts to do this, but Grant Morrison sends Emma Frost out front. And what happens?
1: Yeah, uh, she starts silencing him really quickly. And what, one of the things I love about that is that as Morrison, as a good writer, he distracted you. Like when she starts messing with the protesters, I forgot that Cassandra Nova is in space. Mm-hmm. And it, like even even the minutia of, of his stories within the pages of New X-Men was delectable. It was absolutely something that you just immediately – like you're eating a steak and all of a sudden someone tempts you with a lobster. But it looks like protesters, but you try it out. And like you forget about the stake floating high above the sky. Yeah. And, and that is, there's, there's no minutiae that is, there's no panel wasted. There's no line or, or, or a bubble of dialogue that is in any way uh, a throwaway, a filler that we just have to distract him while we're doing this. But he distracted us perfectly.
0: It's completely true what we what we started talking about when we got into this is uh when you're not wasting space when you're not wasting any time you're writing solid material what did they do with the annual the 2001 annual well they really hammered at home that an annual is actually
1: something relevant i remember the old x-men unlimited uh issues from the early 90s that were just amazing um Storm back in, in, in Egypt, uh, Magneto taking over. Right? Like, But they, they annuals have always been, since then, just a throwaway. But they gave us Zorn.
0: There we go. What do we have again? We have Cyclops and Emma and Wolverine sent to Hong Kong, sent to China, to find another mutant in distress, and it's Zorn. We're introduced to a massively powerful mutant who's... Ted is a star. And they have to encase him in a skull-like helmet to contain this. But he's a healer. And so they bring Towers. him back. Sorry? Taoist healer. Loved oh, it. yeah. Totally. He's a peaceful person. They bring him back to the United States. Uh, and they they all encounter a new threat. John Sublime and the human. Now, these are guys that want to take <laughs> the mutant aspect of mutants out of their bodies and incorporate them through surgery into their own. You can was get. hilarious. It's I, I creepy. It. it was
1: creepy. It was hilarious because these guys really thought that they were better than everyone, mm-hmm. even though they're, like... You know, we can flash back to old Jim uh, Jim Crow law with like one one drop rule, but these guys hate oh, mutants. Man. They want all they want everything that the mutants have to to get what they can get as as humans with extra powers, but not really mutants. I mean, you really you just you know you can put the
0: tip in, but you're gonna <laughs> want to put the whole thing in. So the th- the thing being that in this encounter with the actual John Sublime, uh, Emma Frost, who is essentially this this being of perfect beauty um, who loves to flaunt it and wears designer everything, spends a lot of ton, ton of money on shoes and purses. She gets her nose broken. And this is a seed that gets planted for later in the story. So she gets her nose broken and she goes into diamond form and uh, they ultimately, you know, obviously escape. Um, So that seed gets handled a little bit later after uh Gene and Emma get into it. Now, why does si- that why is that happening?
1: That it's- silent issue was one of the
0: best comic books ever read. Oh yeah. I mean what well let's get to that. I mean, like you get into this whole business where uh uh Emma Frost is introduced into this equation. Gene and Cyclops, who have been married for years, are not really jiving like they used to. And it took a little searching, but there is an issue where Cyclops is talking about how Apocalypse got into his head and virtually reprogrammed him. His life now is no longer of any interest to him, and he's coping with that, and it's ruining his relationship with Gene. And for whatever reason, everybody just sees Cyclops as an old-school superhero— an old-school leader, and he doesn't know how to do that, because that but, but, which is crazy, because that's all he's ever been, and he understands that's the case. So, it's great, because Morrison goes in and writes this character into a major personal drama, and then it, it, it blooms into a relationship problem, and now you've introduced another character who really wants to explore it, and uh, we find out she is legitimately in love with with completely scott. completely in love with scott now man i would
1: have really appreciated that sort of advice when i was like 15 uh the idea <laughs> when you say it blooms into the relationship it, it it's essential it's for a human being to learn this you can't be told it you can you know you can be but you're not going to listen as that you know that young of a pup but if someone tells you that this is going to happen you're not going to listen but then she comes in, and Scott has such a problem with all of the barriers he's had to have with Gene. Like, there's a few issues a couple of years ago where he showed the inside of his mind. He was a bunch of locked doors with X's oh, yeah. that he, yeah. he couldn't f- into. That that was that was the way he was able to uh, keep Gene from like knowing everything. Not that he wanna, really wanted to keep anything from, him, but you're still a human. You got to have your own secrets. You got to have your own privacy. But Emma came on and said, "Hey, tell me everything." Yeah. What do you want me to look like? What do you want me to say? Like I'll get in your head and do it. And she did it so organically, and it really shows the degrees of a humans and relationships and degrees of separation. James is, is prospering back into being the Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emma is obviously the slutty chick that's going to let Scott go have a couple of drinks and have a little bit of a good time and not have a problem with it. And then when he gets home, She's gonna fuck him and, and make him a sandwich. Um, <laughs> and, I,
0: gotta, I can't. I can't disagree with you there. The, the, the unfortunate aspect of this is that Beast gets his little heart broken again because he's he gets a little crush on her, uh, uh, just because um, she's nice to him.
1: Well, there was that little bit of a crush, but the real point was Beast getting rejected by that mm-hmm. by that human that had a problem with him because her job. Uh, negated being successful in her job because she was dating a mutant. And that was such a point, really, like, parallel with Scott and Emma and and Beast and just being confused. And it's okay to be confused. And Beast made some mistakes. He said he was gay, but he wasn't, and they they really went into that. but
0: Yeah, they... uh, they kind of went they, – they, they they ran with that for a minute, and then they came. He well, I mean, Grant Morrison ran with that for a minute and then came back to it, and they were like, look, you're not gay. You're just really unhappy right now, and you're looking for any reason to take romance and sexuality off the table. You're doing well, how, that because it's hurting you, and you how, don't need let, to feel like that.
1: How good would that have been to have a solid person that you trust? The abject trust—the way the X-Men trust each other because they trust each other with their lives—to understand that as a, as a child or a teenager, I mean, like it was such a great parallel that he switched themes. And we we we, we were talking about it earlier where we go from the Shire, Cassandra's up there, mm-hmm. we've got a over here, Scott's in love here, Beast is confused, he just got rejected, and it's still juicy, and you don't oh, notice yeah. that it, you don't yeah. notice that that he slips into the soap opera, uh, forgive that term, but it just got you and, and all of a sudden the issue's
0: over and you're like damn it. <laughs> I don't know. What what it what it eventually boils down to is that uh Scott and Jean Scott and uh, Emma actually are in her mind. And we always think about what's gonna happen if we're in a relationship and we cheat on who we're with. Perfect, perfect. Perfect. Is it perfect. is it cheating if something physical doesn't happen or is it cheating if you're doing something that's emotional? Or is it still just cheating if it's mental? I'm going to go so far as if you're doing – so. I, I have a very particular vo- uh, pr- perspective on this. I can already feel you. Yeah. I mean you have a partner. That's your partner. Don't engage in behavior that's going to threaten your agreed-upon monogamy. Because non- um, non- I, mean, non- I mean if you're both going to make a decision to get somebody else involved, that's a whole other deal. I know some people who are trying that. We'll see what happens, but like, this is not that. And in this story, I mean, if Emma to... and Scott are having an having a a mental love affair. Yeah, and Jean is powerful. She's massively powerful, and she figures it out. And she jumps into their thoughts. And he knows that he's doing. So, Scott knows he's doing something stupid. And it manifests the phoenix. And yeah. she goes into Emma's head and tears her a new one, shows her, shines a light on all the shady things that she is. Every,
1: everything, her history, her past, everything that she never thought of, think about. But I really love what you're talking about. And I really want to expound about it. If, like, when you're talking about relationships, it gives a question if what I'm doing
0: is cheating, you're cheating. Uh, it really boils down to that. We're not here to give the whole world social commentary other than what we're talking about in the books. But we are occasionally going to have to throw in our two cents. Uh, But, you know, hey, you guys, everybody, all of our subscribers, all of our listeners, it's your life, you know? You've got to figure that out for yourself. If you're you're reading this, if you're reading these issues and you get to this part and it's making you uncomfortable, maybe it's because your actions are, you know, dangerous. Who knows? The point being... Beast is ready for a little date, and Scott and Emma are clearly not going to carry on. They have to have a conversation. He and Gene have to have a conversation. But what do we find next but shattered Emma Frost? It's the whole question. Who did it? Why did it happen? And what happens? They call Bishop. Bishop comes in. To but explore this.
1: That isn't, that isn't the jerk there trying to fix something from the future. We finally get some meat and potatoes from Bishop. That's not like, I know something you don't know. You have to trust everything I say. Uh, it was like, I, I loved his dynamic with the X-Men because obviously they didn't trust each other because they had that fallout from beforehand. But he was still there to do the right thing. Yeah. And, and when he finds that shack in, in, the, in the forest outside of the uh, X-Mansion... Uh, you, you think things are really going to go down, but it really goes down really slow. Beak's got all those extra kids. Uh, you thought of something really bad that was going to happen, but it—I don't think it really did. I, I love the outcome from it. Yeah, we find out who shot Emma. We we find out that Beast is carefully piecing her heart together. I mean, I loved that part. I mean, like yeah. taking absolute scientific care to find like to build that jigsaw puzzle. And and, and the effort it takes that Beast doesn't just care. He's truly one of the most selfless characters.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, the guy is living in a whole world of self-doubt and insecurity, anxiety, the kind of stuff that makes everybody sick to their stomach, and he's still trying to help other people all of the time. And he is committed and dedicated to the mutant cause. And I think that's one of the consistent through lines that every creative team has done with him, and that's why he ends up being one of the Illuminati much later. And if you haven't read anything about the Illuminati, look, look it, up. it up. It's phenomenal. You know.
1: Now, now we're talking about a selfless character. Let's talk about people that are absolutely full of themselves. Let's talk about the cuckoos.
0: Oh my god! Yeah, this is a this is a uh, what is it? It's it's not a quartet. It's a quintet. It's a quint quintuplets. How do you say that? It's five sisters. They're all identical. They are. They are empaths, and are they telepaths? Are they projecting, Empathed. or are they passive? They're, they're empaths and telepaths.
1: They're, they're not. Um, they can't move things with their mind, but they can read
0: read people. And put mm-hmm. in them. And they're prissy and haughty, and they have been sent to the school because they wreaked wreak wrought they wrought havoc on their homes. Uh, and Emma Frost immediately. Oh, this is my people. There's all of these outcasts. There's all of these goofballs. If I'm gonna teach a class, I'm gonna teach the class I've got to, but these are her prize students. These and, were her
1: prize students.
0: And as, as much as they are the five in one, uh, they they all have their individual personalities and they will break away and that happens. That happens very soon. Um, okay. I thought of it in a way the way that,
1: uh, like, a mutant gene would happen. Like, if you're trying to cure a disease, you're going to make a vaccine that's 99.999% of the actual disease. But there's 0.1 or 0.001 that might survive. Yeah. And I I feel that one of them, the older one, that they argue about all the time, the one that, you know, ultimately makes a, a bigger decision that the other three or four couldn't couldn't even hear she was able to mask that from them. really takes charge i mean granted she died but even then like you can't have the same of the same they're all gonna have i really love that you brought up the fact that they had even though they all pretend to be the same they all had their own individual personality yeah, they are, that's awesome
0: they are individuals despite the fact that you always see them wearing identically the same thing looking the same way um I mean, we get into some business with them again in a bit with Kid Omega, but not jumping the gun on that. I mean, the Shi'ar come to Earth, and they're like, we're going to go mess up those mutants because, you know, Charles Xavier just screwed up our lives, our empire in space. And uh, they basically ascertain that Cassandra Nova, they figure out the whole Cassandra Nova angle, and they deal with it accordingly. They lock her up. Uh, And Zorn who they rescued in China, fixes everybody, fixes all the problems. And uh, he heals all of these people. So when they manage, so you get that silent issue that we talked about earlier. Um, Marvel just decided, hey, let's do a rash of silent issues. So there it was the Nuff Said covers. There's one from Spider-Man, I recall. And uh, the X-Men one is phenomenal. Because we get the return of Frank quietly, and it's trippy. it is trippy in the way Grant Morrison deserves to have an artist portray his thoughts and so uh he uh basically we i mean, you just you have to find this issue if you if you don't read anything else, just knowing that Emma and Jean have to get together, even though. They have major beef to fix Charles. They do it. They find out that Charles' mentality is pieced out, parceled out, and hidden in the minds of people all over the world. And they bring those pieces back together, and they never say anything, but they're in there having to deal with echoes of Cassandra Nova's mind, and pow, they make it work, and then they realize why Cassandra Nova exists at all and they skip past that they get beyond it they get beyond it so that's that's just volume one that's just the first third of grant morrison's legendary run on new x-men right but we got to talk about a little
1: bit more about zorn as a healer man like i know you got a little bit more on that
0: yeah i mean zorn comes in and he has this that's the beauty of it because we're gonna find out You know, no, I mean, you haven't read it, that's one thing. Spoilers. I think it's a great thing, what they did, even though we also realized it's kind of a terrible thing when we put our thoughts to it. But, uh, with what they do with Zorn. But, they're mutants. We don't have any scientific basis for why Storm can control the weather, let alone fly. We have, I mean, Wolverine at least makes sense. He's a, he, he, he's... You know, he regenerates. Uh, you know, Cyclops, to a certain extent, I can kind of wrap my head around. I kind of want to write a book about the science behind the mutants someday. Uh, I This is one of those things that when I worked at a comic book store, I talked about all the time with some guys that worked there. You know, how does this make any sense? Zorn, it doesn't matter. We're reading a comic book. It's Zorn. Oh, he's a healer. Okay, fine. he has a healing. his mutant power is healing. Well, I've never read anybody who does that. So how is that not amazing And then what do we find out much 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 later? We'll get to that. So Zorn heals Charles Xavier, and he can walk now third away through the uh, through the French or through the book, he can walk where was zorn all these years so then we start to get into this business where jean gray is kind of doing stuff out by herself is it because she doesn't want to be around scott is it because she doesn't want to be around emma is it because she just wants them to be around one another so that they possibly do something dirty it's like what what, what why are you why are you getting lost and going off on your own missions who does yeah, she that? encounter an assassin named phantomix well, well, before we get into that part, we got to talk about Wolverine. Oh, that's
1: true. Now, one of the best parts about this, we'll get to this more in depth later, is that Wolverine is a secondary character. He's not one of the main characters. I mean, sure, he, what he does every time he does something, it's awesome. However, he earlier when she's uh, gracing into being full-fledged Phoenix, she encounters Wolverine in the woods. And he tells her, like, hey, you're supposed to be with Scott. And yeah. she tells her, we're having trouble. And he's like, you're supposed to be with Scott. And they kiss for a second because, you know, they, they're they're that secondary love. But he tells her for the first time, like, hey, go be with Scott, which is a big deal because he's never done that before. That's right. Ever done that before. And and when you're talking about Gene wandering around, she wanders into Fantomex, which is a big deal because he's one of my favorite characters of all the X-Men of all time. I love the fact that he is—he's such a dirtbag, but not—not <laughs> in, not in that Gambit sense where Gambit is like probably has herpes, <laughs> and not in that sense. Like Zorn seems more like the type that's going to wine and dine you and make sure you get a taxi home.
0: Bentomix. But at the same time, no,
1: there's no illusion. There's no illusion with with Fantomex, mm-hmm. except for the illusions that. Everything else. <laughs> uh, I know that's such a... That's such a... That's such a uh, oxymoron. What about the French? No, he's... Oh, the French. Yeah, he picks... He picks himself to be French. And... Uh, are we going to talk about... Uh, WebinX
0: yet, or... or oh, yeah, go... yeah. We get into that. It's, it, it's coming up. Like, why do you... Uh, I mean, mainly that comes... That, 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 that does come a little bit later. That's all Volume 3 stuff. But... but, uh... but let's talk about... Let's talk about your recording. Oh, Igor Corday. Well, okay. I don't even know if I'm saying that name correctly, Igor Corday. but um, what it amounts to is that some of the pencilers, some of the artists on the series were having a hard time meeting their deadlines. And I think that mainly has a lot to do with Grant Morrison really crushing it, generating the content, simultaneously deadlines. I mean, you've got to get your issues out. Around this same time, The Ultimates, Volume 1, was coming out, and it would be months between issues. There's no reason for that. I mean, it makes sense if you've got artists, you're going to have a consistent artist who's going to do it the whole time. Marvel basically reached out and said, okay, hey, uh, we need to keep this going, this is working, and uh, we need somebody who can get us an issue by tomorrow. So Igor Corday, wherever he came from, Belted out an entire issue of New X-Men in 24 hours, and it looks really good for 24 hours. My problem with it is that all of the issues he worked on after that, he definitely had more than 24 hours to do, and they don't look good. How How do you make Jean Grey not look good? How do you be so inconsistent about people's eyes and all of these other features and stuff like that? And then what's worse, we get into what is, uh, let me see. Yeah, issue 128. How do you make Emma Frost look revolting? The last page of issue 128, she's hideous and it's terrifying.
1: Now... Uh, I really feel like you're begging a question that has not ever been addressed directly. Um, Specifically, I want to reference the Sandman. I know you haven't read the entirety of Sandman. I know you're familiar with it. Yeah, I know. However, the thing about the the Sandman is Sam Keith did the original issue of number one, and he didn't have 24 hours. He had much, much more time to do it, but he was so dissatisfied with his artwork, he almost had them take his name off of the actual book which would have been a huge mistake.
0: That's and, rough because at least he has a style and it's consistent.
1: Right, right. But the, the thing was is that his – I think he was confused with what, what Neil Gaiman was doing. Now, when you read The Sandman, I want to say every five issues, you got good art.
0: Uh-huh. Every other
1: four was
0: terrible. It's like that but, here in the, in the second uh, second third of it. The story was so good you didn't care.
1: That's what I think you're begging the question about whether or not to mm. be a filler artist. And, and, you know, it sucks if you're a filler artist. You don't want to be a jobber. Uh, you know, that
0: happens. A <laughs> jobber. Yeah.
1: At the same time, they got it done and got the story taken care of. Uh, it wasn't the best art in like probably 60, maybe 75% of The Sandman, but the writing was so good that you didn't care. You, you were able to get past it. And that's what I was thinking that you were begging the question, something we need to talk about uh, just briefly. I really hope our listeners can think about it for a second and just realize there's some guys out there just trying to make some comics and doing a good job and filling in when they can. Hey, and,
0: I can't disagree and- with you. I can't do a comic book in 24 hours. I certainly can't do as good a job as Igor Corday did in seven days or however much time he had. It just... I'm not an artist. I cannot pencil things. I have one piece of hand sketch work that I've done in the last 10 years that I actually like. And uh, it's because my girlfriend, who's an art teacher, had me come to her class and I did the artwork with her. It was, you know, well, if, I, if I spend an hour on each thing like this, you know, yes. hey, it's got a moment. Anyway, so. What?
1: Why do you feel? Because you mentioned the, you mentioned this to me earlier um, before we start recording that Phil Jimenez saved the day around issue 132.
0: Oh, okay. Um, okay. My my beef is, let me flip to it. In fact, I mean, <clears throat> we start. Uh, let me see here. I'm sorry, everybody. I got to look at this up. But like, you get into issue 127, and uh, you've got John Paul Leon, and. It's just not, uh, basically, the, my problem with it is, it's freaking Frank quietly He's, right. he comes out so strong with a definitive look for this story. And this isn't a six-parter. This isn't a 12-parter. This isn't. Greg Land or something doing all of Ultimate Fantastic Four or Ultimate Power or something. You know, I mean, this is this is a definitive run of X Men comics, and the real consistency is Grant Morrison. So, I mean, you've got Frank quietly doing such an amazing job, just like looking at the Ultimates at the same time. We're not switching horses midstream it's going to be this good every time you pick it up, but it's not going to happen fast. And so it's disappointing to see something not be the same caliber performance from one issue to the next. And that's that's what hurts. You get about midway through the series, and you've got, like you said, I, I, I'm not going to call these guys jobbers. I don't know what else Igor Corday's done. I looked it up once, and clearly I can't remember. So – You've got Igor Corday, you've got somebody else, you got somebody else, and then you get into uh what is it, issue 132, and fill him in as comes in, and it's just like, oh man, at least this feels like what I was reading 10 issues ago. At least this right. looks like it, you know? It's like what? Eating meals every day and being like, "This is really good. This is really good. This is really good," and then hitting something and it's disappointing, and then that lasting for a week, and then finally you're like, "Man, I just want to go back to uh, Chili's and get that steak steak again." And pow, it works.
1: Might be that like you go from such good art to people that are yeah, they're drivers, they're doing, they're good, you know, they do their best. I'm not knocking on them. But at the same time, though, there were some artists that simply couldn't get a perspective right. Yeah. Not three point, four point, five point, six point. Even just, like, the actual uh, perspective of what, like, the human anatomy looks like. Was oh, man. Your eye immediately looks at it, and
0: it just says – your your eye says, no, yeah, I don't like This it. is wrong. This – Charles does not look like this. No, no. Okay. Jean Grey – is an attractive woman. Emma Frost, attractive women. These are attractive people. They have horrifying eyebrows. It's just uh it just crushes me to look at that, the inconsistency of the artwork in this. But I digress. We, we we gotta move on from this. I mean right. So uh <sighs> let, let let's talk about um Polaris and Genosha. Oh yeah, I mean. They got to go back to Genosha. You know it's got to happen. So they fly back down there, and you got a lot of people who are in uh, like pressure suits or whatever. And this is not the part of the story that I have focused the most on, but I'm at least very excited to see Storm and see Quicksilver and Toad and love Toad, love Toad, and uh, yeah. You know what's really bad is that I, uh oh, Unus the Untouchable Man. I don't think anybody's <laughs> utilized Unus the Untouchable since original X-Men number three or four or something like that. He's so, like, he's got a force field around him. You cannot touch him. That's his mutant power. He must not get laid very often unless he <laughs> wants to. I don't even know. At least he clearly—I don't know—you can. It's, that's the fun speculation of uh, adolescence. But um, what it really boils down to is that we finally yeah. start to see a handful of things that are happening outside just the X Mansion. What have we been complaining about since the beginning when we were talking about this extinction? <coughs> this business of how there's too much going on in the world of X. And there still was too much going on in the world of X when Grant Morrison was writing this, but he wasn't catering to it. He was like, no, just because you guys are doing this doesn't mean it hasn't penetrated into what I'm doing. I'm doing love, this. That's that.
1: Not that because he really had the ganas to do that sort of thing. And like, You've heard about what those writers' meetings are like when they take that retreat every summer.
0: you got to stay straight. Stay straight on the mic, dude. You've heard about what it's like when uh hold on. Yeah, we'll cut we'll cut this crap out. I'm just saying we gotta the consistency of sound because I can see your vol your your levels dropping off. Is that better now? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, it's rough. We gotta do it this way.
1: Okay, go. Think of the as it takes to actually take over and not care and you hear about their meetings they have every summer when they go and they plan out the next year in whatever Jamaica
0: they think their writers retreat. And I hope they're having those meetings. It doesn't always feel like it.
1: I agree, but even then I I, I just imagine Morrison just smoking a co- clove and just saying like, nah, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you guys can do that. That's fine. You can do whatever you want. you can do literally what you can have Wolverine's adamantium ripped out. I'm not going to care because I'm writing my story. And that sort of gun is, oh, that speaks volumes. Like, oh, okay, he's going to do this, and we told him what the storyline's supposed to be, and he goes and does this, and he doesn't care what's going on. But we can't ignore the fact
0: that he's selling out almost every issue. I How hope we- so. I mean, that was part of the deal when I was when I was trying to find these books in single issues. I didn't have them all the time, you know. I'm at my one comic book store. I'm looking in the back issues, trying to figure out whether or not uh, these things are lying around. And um, that's why I had to get it in trade, you know. You can't find it if it's sold out. And that doesn't mean it's not going to show up again, but whatever. I mean, ultimately, you know, we get into this whole business where they're at Genosha, and uh, they're building this... Effigy of Magneto. And uh that whole business was very confusing to me in that moment. I didn't really understand what they were doing, but I kind of feel like around that time, the suits, as you put it, pressured, hey, we want you to do something to bring Magneto back into this. So Magneto was Magneto was right. Exactly. You start That's to true. get the beginnings of that movement here. It's not until um what issue Before. it's after issue 134. You made a big you made a big point Quinton Quire's first appearance is issue 134. He is Kid Omega. He's a teenage Omega level mutant. And he makes the first Magneto was right posters and they it shows up on his t-shirt at some point. And his entire argument is we're not going to end up being what these guys have been. We're going to do our own thing because we are automatically already better. And I think this all stems from the fact that he got uh, dissed by one of the Stepford Cuckoos that he was infatuated with. Right
1: in class when Zorn was teaching class and he was teaching that particular lesson and Quentin had a problem with it. And he goes and thinks about it. I really think it stems not just from I think it really comes organically from Morrison's love of punk rock music. Um, Morrison doesn't like crap punk rock music. I mean this guy likes Suzy Sue, he likes T-Rex, you know it. He's not listening, you know, to the, the the sex pistols all the time. Like that stuff doesn't matter to him. I mean he really liked that sort of stuff, but even then, uh I just feel like he was incorporating his love of punk rock and taking that idea that revolutionaries still matter, and then oh, with kiddo
0: good phrase. Kittle, I like the way you said that. Revolutionaries with, still matter.
1: Yeah, and with in with the X Men, there's not been a revolutionary that didn't care what Xavier was teaching and really went with with his ideas, no matter what.
0: I mean, you go you're going in and you're saying you're talking about punk music and stuff like that. If you go in and look at Grant Morrison, the man actually performed as a villain in a My Chemical Romance music video. Right. Uh, I mean, that's saying something. That's maybe saying, I believe in your music, but I also think that's really because... uh, um, So that's where I would cut, because now I have to look it up. Gerard Way. Okay. Okay. And then we come back to it. Gerard Way and Grant Morrison have definitely met, definitely hung out, definitely talked about art and music and magic and some other great things. And I think it's because there's respect there. I hope so. If I ever meet either of these guys, that's what I want to know about. I want to know about, yeah, your artwork, your story, your, well, I mean, you know, the art is the story. For grant as it is but like the pair of them what's your relationship what's what what is it that compels you to be involved with one another even on that level and can we expect more when can we see some gerard way artwork in a grant morrison story
1: and i agree and one of the things i loved the most about it was the fact that kid omega didn't care if he won or lost he got his point across
0: dude like you know what i the, never thought of it like that i don't know if he ever comes out and says that but uh he got, his, he got his point across all
1: the all the all the the journalists were there for like mutant love day or whatever they called it and <laughs> and he him and his kid omega disciples you know start that that melee inside the inside the actual you know x mansion and as that goes down i mean like yeah the the x-men are pulling their punches but they're not they don't exile him. They don't put him in mutant jail. They, 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 they want to help him, and they understand that he was so passionate about this that they really have to think about it. And I know they kind of – they didn't glance over in it. They kind of melded into it as the issues progressed in New X-Men. Uh-huh. But he got his damn point across.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: He got his point across. And I love the fact that they incorporated that inhaler X-drug Oh, kick. That, yeah. Kick, I love the fact that they incorporated the drug because, you know, Morrison's talked about drugs for years about how it's necessary for X magic or to expand your mind, whether you're into that or not, you know, it's whatever. I mean, like Bill Hicks, you don't, oh. but he still has good points whether or not you do drugs or not, but he, you saw how a drug can be used and not abused and also absolutely abused.
0: Oh, completely. I mean, think about how this whole thing ends. It's drug abuse. I mean, I'm listening to uh Grant Morrison's Super Gods through Audible right now. Audible, America's best audiobook downloading site. That was my <laughs> my crap, uh <laughs> unsolicited uh <laughs> advertisement for Audible. I love it. Man, I've I've listened to more books on Audible in the last two years. Uh, that I've had the opportunity to sit down and spend the time reading, uh, I wish they would expand their catalog to some even more lesser known material, but uh the point I'm trying to get to is that the man is talking about drugs in a lot of times, and at least we're look when when reading this definitive run, we are not overwhelmed with "I have done drugs, I do drugs, you should do drugs. none of that comes out. He nope. shows. Hey, yeah, this kid is doing some drugs, and later we see somebody major abusing drugs and uh, putting them over the top in a serious, serious way. Uh, and, then
1: Emma, and then Emma and the, and the cuckoos using them to really boost what they can mm-hmm. just for that one place and time for whatever situation and getting stuff done, uh, hence my my difference. Differentiation between <laughs> using drugs and abusing drugs. Yes. You can use a drug to calm down, relax, or you can abuse it. Well, and Kip and his dudes were abusing, I mean, they had some good ideas. I mean, what revolutionary act doesn't involve drugs and alcohol and, and just, you know, doing whatever the hell you want to do? But then Emma goes and turns it completely around and puff, boom, kick, done, settle down. Calm down. We're going to take care of the reporters outside. But you made a big mess, but you're not exiled. You're not an X-Men anymore.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, we still see Kid Omega in issues to this day. He didn't, I mean, he definitely offended and pissed off a lot of characters, but he still gets to come back and uh, play ball later, you know?
1: Schism, he he did a really good job in Schism. I loved him in Schism. Hmm. I Let's move on. Okay. All right.
0: so Yeah, I mean, we, we, I, I think that we okay. got into a bad spot earlier where we actually overstepped ourselves because some of the material we were talking about happens a little bit later. But I don't think that's uh, the end of the world, you know. Um, we get into this whole business and, uh, we, you know, if you're looking at the trade paperbacks or the hardbacks, like I've been talking about, this is the beginning of volume three. Um, basically, things have been progressing on a storyline up to this point, on a timeline up to this point, that days and days and days could happen. But everything at this point seems to happen within the span of about a week for the next, like, I don't know, 12 issues. It just cranks through, beginning with uh, Cyclops and Wolverine, Two guys that don't really get along. I think Wolverine has a respect for Cyclops, but they're not buddies. Uh, nope, they and, and,
1: and they they really encapsulate that. Like Cyclops is trying to get drunk, drinking some freaking like Chablis, and Wolverine's <laughs> hey, come over and take some actual man shots. I know that like isn't really like palpable to the state of affairs and. United States right now, but like, hey, if you want to take a man drink, drink some whiskey. Let's come over here and drink.
0: Oh, man. That's a, definitely and, uh, a Wolverine thing to do We're, or not, say. Bu- we're not buddies, and they, they
1: accentuate uh, – Morrison accentuates the actual encounter in the Hellfire Club by bringing Sabretooth, and him and Wolverine are taking a leak next to each other and,
0: like, run any other place.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Any other place. We've been and, talking about that for years. I guarantee like, – Man, I'll tell you what. You and I have known each other for almost Mm -hmm. 10 years, I think. Almost 10 years. And we have constantly, constantly referenced back to this particular scene. I know you haven't read the whole thing all the time. I know you, you, you know, like, but I know you read this. We have talked about this for almost a decade. What a great moment this particular issue is. You've got a dancing girl up on the table who is a hideous creature, but she is projecting <laughs> what you want to see into your mind. So what does he want to see? Cyclops wants to see the Goblin Queen. Basically, go back to the Hellfire Club oh, books correct. from the, the 80s and introduce to <laughs> Frost. And you'll see when uh, Jason Wingard had the control over Jean Grey... And uh, the whole business of how she was leather-clad, dominatrix style, all of that stuff—we, you know—it's not the kind of thing you usually see Jean in. And uh, it's being projected into his head. I don't know if it's whether he wants it or not, but uh, I thought it was cool. I just remember reading that and thinking, I haven't seen this before. And uh, that was the part that was that was cool to me. So then you've got Sa- uh, Sabretooth and Wolverine peeing next to one another. And it's like, Sabretooth is a member of the Hellfire Club? Or can anybody get in? Because I want to go to those parties.
1: I like when he's warned. Like, hey, you act up, we've got a gaggle of dudes
0: downstairs that will dissect you over and over and over <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, because they understand Wolverine's power set, you know? They can they can mess him up again and again and again.
1: Well, they were threatening Sabretooth. But even then, uh, the fact that Cyclops is having a drinking contest with Wolverine, which everyone knows you're not going to win because of his healing power. But as they're just taking shot after shot, Scott is opening up like he's never done before and really humanized him. Ugh. And that's the one thing that really lacked – in any story about Cyclops, uh, Scott Summers, is that he was never humanized. He was always the Boy Scout, and he's there just taking some shots, looking at some, looking at some dancing girlies, and and uh, trying to have a good time. And Wolverine is trying to trick him into going on a uh, off the books mission.
0: Oh wait, now let's let me uh, let me uh, I guess correct that. Phantomix is there. Oh, yeah, they meet up with Phantomex. Phantomex gets them and says, hey, we need to go check something out. You're something that I am, and there's a problem, and we need to go do this. So they, they, they go on a side quest that changes the Marvel Universe and has ramifications across the board. We have to go to a facility called The World, Wherein we will encounter Weapon 15. Wolverine, you're not Weapon X. You're Weapon 10. And And Captain America was Weapon 1, and I think Nuke was Weapon 2, and so on and so forth. And this changes everything. It's never been Weapon X, it's the Weapon Plus program, which was, I remember, I remember squeeing with delight with my roommate when I lived in LA when we went to see The Incredible Hulk and it said Dr. Abraham Erskine Weapon Plus Program when General Ross went to go get the uh, Super Soldier Serum to jam into Emil Blonsky. Go yep. back and re-watch that scene. See that little throwaway thing and realize why this this Thing is so important because it's cohesive, it's consistent. Did Grant Morrison do it or is it all part of the stuff that was going on in the Ultimates at the time? Got to keep in mind the Ultimates and the Ultimate Universe is all built around the idea that Norman Osborn, Dr. Octopus, Fantastic Four. the Fantastic Four, everybody everybody is trying to develop a new super soldier serum a new captain america uh hank pym if you go back go back and oh my goodness go back and reread ultimate origins i don't know if you've ever seen it find it in trade it introduces galactus not galactus it introduces the watcher um And it talks about all of the things that ramp up in that universe. So I'm like, is that part of that meeting that Joshua brought up? Did they sit there and discuss this is what we're doing over here? This is what we're doing over there? It's a cohesive element to play with the idea that everything leads back to let's generate a super person. And so Weapon X, Weapon Plus. Where was Deadpool? Deadpool was on that list, right? I got to look at that. I think he's 14th. Weapon 14? 14 or 13. Man, I'm going to flip through. I'm going to look at it.
1: Because all the ones we knew before that was uh, that were part of the Weapon X program was Mavericks, Silver Fox, Sabertooth. Um, who else? There's like two, two or three people I'm forgetting that uh, if you flash flashback to like, the medium issues of the original run of Wolverine, uh, other than the Frank, uh, Frank Miller ones, we're talking like uh, when Sylvester was drawing like issue 49, number 50, when Shiva first shows up, which is one of the things I really liked about uh, the Weapon X guy that they're fighting in faith is uh, he was basically the Shiva. Remember Shiva? Yeah. Shiva was there to uh, always adapt, and there was like like almost infinite, but still finite, like, different new robots of Shiva that would always show up to destroy anyone in the Weapon X program that remembered something and put them back in the pool. And... Who they're fighting? while well, Wolverine is like learning everything. Is someone completely daft. Well, the computer's mocking Fantomex the whole time. Like, really, you're gonna be French? Like, that's what you pick? I uh-huh. that. Was hilarious. And then they like the the battles going on, and Wolverine is just standing there, just reading. And he's just like, I know everything.
0: I know everything. Oh my god, I know. That's the, the other world- major major game changer. We have been living in a world. Since these issues came out, where Wolverine knows everything about his past, He's st- what, what do they do? They go to the world, they fight Weapon 15, and I'm having a hard time remembering whether or not Wolverine had to go up to uh, Asteroid M or if he found this information in the world. But he basically says...
1: No, no, huh? no after, after, after the battle uh, uh, with Weapon 15... He ends up getting shot into space and lands on Asteroid M and Gene shows up Mm, to help mm -hmm. and they're trapped on it. And like like the horrific realization, they're on Asteroid M, which was another, uh, what do you call it, a foreshadowing.
0: Oh, for sure. Foreshadowing about what's going to happen. I mean, what do we have going on? We've got Cyclops and Wolverine off messing around on this side quest. Uh, Psyche is still drunk. Half the time in this situation, but he still manages. And then you've got uh, Fantomex and Weapon Fifteen simultaneously. You've got Jean out on her own. You've got Beast. Everybody's split up, and everybody is sick for some reason, and no one seems to understand why. They just think, well, you know, hey, we're all getting, we've all got a virus, we've all got the flu, or we got all got the cold, or whatever. Every the X Men are split up. Well. At the same time, Zorn has been doing some strange lectures in his class and showing people a world or a map where the world is turned upside down and saying this is Planet X. This is where we are going to end up. This is what the future is. And that being the case, Dust, a new character, a young character, a Middle Eastern character, a woman, she... She uh, realizes what's going on and tries to deal with it, but somehow is incapable of doing so. Charles comes down there on his own two feet, says, hey, look, uh, you've got some questionable stuff going on, and I don't think this Magneto was right poster is appropriate. And, uh, he's, and Zorn says, you know, you're walking around because I let you. Really what's been going on is there are micro nano-sentinels inside your body and I've been magnetically holding them up. Is it a? It's a question of are you are we looking at this from the perspective of Zorn is a healer or is it that the nano-sentinels are inside Charles' body because when he reveals himself to be Magneto then has he just been using his magnetic power to let Charles walk around? The scope when he snap, of his power when he is unbelievable. Him,
1: when he snaps him in half and, and stops holding up Chuck's spine, uh, we, we need to talk about something a little extraneous before we really finish and get to the coup de gras. is what happened? Like, from what I understand the suits that be decided that it had to be Magneto and Morrison wasn't having it. Didn't want it to happen, but was forced to, he did his best. And when, you know, things came to be, he ended up, you know, finishing it up. You know, he had Sylvester drawing it, you know, that's a hard thing to walk away from.
0: Yeah. But
1: once they took over his comic and forced Zorn being Magneto, which he had planned when I understand he had planned it to be Magneto, but not the way it actually like actually like, played out in actual print and that sort of forceful hand had Morrison pretty much just finished what he could to, because he was obviously in love with his baby and couldn't just abandon it and then quit
0: Marvel forever from what he said. Is that accurate? That sounds about appropriate. Um, The, the Zorn storyline like that, as I understand it, is mainly taken from the unofficial guide to Marvel, the unofficial Marvel book that, uh, the, or the unofficial biography of Marvel that I read, I think five years ago. Uh, it was good. It, A good book. It was really good. But uh, you know, when we talked to uh, when we talked to Shoot. Jim Shooter, he was like, "No, this is this is not not accurate," you know. They vilified him um, so that's how, that's, a, that's a story they vilified him that's a story for another long box but, that's, yeah um, they vilified they sure did and i i think it is undeserved the man reigned in a bunch of people who were you know drug addicts, acid, like addict, yeah you know. locking themselves in their, in their
1: hotels writing howard the duck and and dr strange and adam warlock and he's having to wrangle like drug addicts but uh, we're, uh, we're 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 deviating.
0: Oh well, I mean, wait, let's, hey, let's man, we're all we're still talking about. It. I think this is I think it's still relevant. But uh, the I point, agree. yeah, I mean, that's another question. I mean, it begs a lot of research. Was Zorn ever supposed to be Magneto? I thought it was the coolest thing in the world when I read it. Magneto had been dead for issues and issues and issues by the time I got to this. And when this happened, I remember turning the page. And losing my mind. So whether or not it was his intended idea, it was awesome to me. And I hope that doesn't make me sound like some kind of halfway,
1: But No, no. It was still cool, man. We didn't see it coming. We had, to, like, I mean, that was such a pull the rug out from under your feet. Like, we never saw that coming. I mean, like, granted, if you look back, I mean, that like, some of the clues are there. But even then, I think that's because they had to, Morrison had to fix things for the suits to be. But even then, like, you know, you're you're piecing breadcrumbs together, but th- there are still some clues there. I mean, like you don't just randomly end up on asteroid M. That doesn't happen.
0: Well, that's like, the thing. How far back? That's what I want to know. How far into or how far back from the reveal did uh, did the gun get pointed at his head? Like J. Michael Straczynski and Spider Man's the other. I mean, when does right. somebody? say you've got to do this i want to know how far back it had to happen but uh that's a question for him i haven't run into grant morrison at any conventions
1: it it is a glorious aspect that he still pulled the story off and really knocked it out of the park with the gun to his head
0: i i presume i mean yeah i'm not gonna say no to that uh basically the team is completely split up people have been sick they don't know why it's cuz they've got na- nano sentinels inside their bodies uh Wolverine like you said is um projected up to asteroid M gene is up there and they are hurtling towards the sun it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter and you have this just amazing moment between them where he can't even talk anymore he's they're regenerating dis- and regenerating and it's killing her and just Discourse was great. Oh, man. I mean, they're talking to one another only because she's using her mind to make it possible. And, uh, you know, it's all happening in in their heads, their telepathy. And then they get close enough that he realizes, you know, hey, we always think there's going to be a way. There's always going to be a way to survive. We've survived all these things. And there isn't a way for them to win. He realizes... he has to kill her for her to become powerful enough to manifest the Phoenix to save the day because they know what's on the line. I agree. And
1: what what makes it even more important to me is that very rarely did he use any X-Men tropes. Like any oh. X-Men, like if you do this, it's going to happen. But we all knew that he was going to have to claws in the gene and ignite the Phoenix and then boom, back to Earth. And – What a successful way to use a trope that you probably saw coming, but that's okay. I mean, like, those things are there because they were great, and he utilized one of the better ones, like that Wolverine has to try to kill the phoenix. I'm sorry, uh, uh, Marvel Girl, Miss Jean Grey, Uh and she ignites the phoenix, and then boom, back to Earth, you know, like a a bat out of hell. And he utilized that perfect trope and didn't make it seem cliché or... Or even just, like, something really obnoxiously um, predictable. He didn't do that. You wanted that to happen. Like, come on, just fucking stab her. It'll wake it up. Just send me, like, you're
0: running out of air. That was the thing. Just let this happen. I'm not going to lie. When I read this the first time, it was the first time I'd ever read any of the Phoenix stuff. I'd never read the Dark Phoenix Saga. I never really understood what that meant. And when I realized... This was something incredibly powerful. It really blew my mind. I was glad that I had been introduced to these concepts of the X-Men by Grant more than the way they had initially been put out there for us. You know, that's a really good
1: parallel. Because when if you if you look up the research on Claremont writing the Dark Phoenix Saga and how he wanted it to end, the suit stepped in and made him change it.
0: No way, really? It was only
1: until recently, a couple years... Yes. The suit stepped in and made him change it, and it did not end the way he wanted it to. Which is why there's so many different endings, and so, why so many people are so confused about how the Dark Phoenix Saga actually ended, because there's so many retcons. Uh. Claremont actually came in a couple years ago and wrote like was supposed to happen. And... It, it just got really messy, but um, such a good parallel. With what you're talking about and what I'm talking about with him utilizing that that Marvel trope to kill, you know, Jean Grey, ignite the the Phoenix. That he he really took the ball and ran with it. This is what I'm. These are the cards that were dealt to me, and this is how I'm going to play, and I'm still going to win.
0: I'm uh, not going to end up like Paramount, pissed off. He totally pulled it off, man. I mean, uh, it, it worked. I, I... <clears throat> Whether or not it was, I know that he has, to some degree, I'm not going to say disowned it, but I know that Grant has uh, been very upset about this whole sequence. And uh, I still think that, I mean, it's still one way or another. You're right. He, he, He pulled it off and it's amazing. But what else can we say? I mean, Magneto has taken over New York in one day created a force field that nobody can penetrate the ff the avengers the defenders heroes for hire silver sable and the wild pack nobody can get in there dr strange it's incredible why kick magneto is jacked up on kick and he has he the brotherhood back that is a story he, he i want gotta... to see i want to see him not just He's... take over sorry He's got one of the Stepford Cuckoos helping him.
1: Yeah, that's right. He had one of the Stepford Cuckoos, and she was supplying the kick, and she was one of the coup de gras why he was defeated. But even then, uh, even the people he was trying to help are dying. Like, the mutants in New York, like, he took over where he took over Manhattan were dying. They were out of food, water, you name it. They, they couldn't get it in there. It was all magnetically protected. Wasn't gonna happen. And he didn't care, because he was that messed up on drugs. And that obsessed with his own power. I really liked the fact that they really took the Magneto aspect from just simply being like, no, human's bad, mutant's good, to, like, I'm good, everyone else sucks. And it didn't matter how he was going to win or who had to die. He was going to win. That was – the kick just took over. And granted, it amplified his powers, but, like, remember how sweaty he was getting? Remember how they – Illustrated how sweaty he was and, and like, how many drug addicts you know are just all sweaty all the time. And they're red-faced and 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 just erratic. And everyone around him is scared to do anything or say anything wrong because it's going to piss them off. And, you know, this guy's got ultimate power. And we got to really move on into the part where the X-Men really prevail when they take over and Jean Grey shows up. I mean, they really get into the bubble. And, you know, please expound from that.
0: Well, I mean, basically, Wolverine eliminated, like, had to kill Jean. The phoenix shows up. She carries him to Earth. They re-encounter Beast. They get the gang back together. They go to New York. They have to oppose Magneto. That's what you have to do when you're the X-Men. And uh, Charles is captured. Basically, Cyclops gets close enough to blast Magneto in the face and destroy the uh, telepathy-proof helmet so that he has to wear the Zorn helmet again. And then he takes it off long enough for Wolverine to decapitate him. So we have maybe, you know what? Maybe the fact that he had to kill Magneto. The problem I have with all of this is that we just saw Magneto killed after we saw Magneto killed at the beginning of this thing. And Grant Morrison's definitive run ends after the planet X storyline with the dark beast or white beast. in the uh, Phoenix egg and the Phoenix but egg we, we and all of this great stuff. But,
1: but we didn't touch on something enough earlier. Uh, the, the Wolverine being a side character, um, him doing his job, they didn't really go into his, his, his past too much. I mean, they, 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 he, he was there. Everything he did was great. Uh, his influence wasn't always the, the older dude, you know, helping out the 15 year old girl, everything, everything he did had a purpose And his, anytime he was on screen, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, in the panels, like everything he did had a purpose. And when he cut Magneto's head off, that affected me in a way that rem- reminded me of the Fatal Attraction story, when him and Magneto were going to beat each other on asteroid Asteroid M, uh-huh. and uh, Wolverine went for a killing blow, and Magneto got really, really upset. Not because he, not because he tried to kill him, but because he-, he, they've had so many X amount of battles, and Wolverine's never done a killing blow before, and that's what cheesed him off enough to you know pull the adamantium out of him he tells him, you know, my, my most respected foe, and and that really affected me when Wolverine just, boom, like, had to make that decision. He just killed Jean Grey, and then, boom, head off, rolls off, and I also like the fact that they actually put that in plain view, because one of the things that really cheesed me off about uh, Siege was when um, Thor, uh, you know, annihilated uh, the sentry as oh, the, yeah. uh, the void, and they barely showed it. Like, there were so many other great you know, huge splash pages. Copiel is just knocking out of the park, and in the, a the tiny little page, you see Thor putting the hammer down, and then, well, and then there's a crater.
0: Let me let me let me go can... in on something with you on that. I mean, we don't have to see it to know what's what. It happened in silhouette. It's gold. It worked. We know what it means. And you know, we're gonna upload pictures of this. But like, go back to. You and I are massive Fight Club fans, gigantic fans of Fight Club, life-changing Fight Club. And uh, you don't have to see the repercussions in the immediacy of uh, Ed Norton beating the bejeeze out of Jared Leto, you know? You just have to know it because there is, if you get in on one of the DVDs, there's the whole alternate take there where they're showing other people react to the savagery of... Vomiting. Yeah. And, and all that other good...
1: Yeah. I mean, that, well, I think well, it's fine I, the way I, it is. I, I see what you're saying. I mean, like, Hitchcock did it best in the early the, sixty, the, the where he didn't show the murders. You hear the wet meat smacky sounds, which made it even worse. Yeah. But, like, I'm just saying that... And Siege, they reduced it to a small panel when they could have maybe even something a little bit bigger. I wanted something a little bit more epic to that sort of thing. Oh, okay.
0: You wanted a splash page.
1: I wanted a splash page just to show, even if it was like, you know, like one one panel on one page is like Thor bringing up the hammer, and the next, and then they do like some sort of sound effect, and the next page you see, you know, laid out, you know, sentry. And void just you know withering, yeah. which would have been great to me make it to because why would you take such an epic moment and make it so small? Uh, Hitch uh, back to Hitchcock. I gotta look he at accentuated it. Accentuated with, with the with the uh, with Hitchcock, he'd make the wet smacky sounds, yeah. which you know is even worse than seeing it. And. And in, in your reference to Fight Club, the reactions were even better than actually seeing Leto's face, Angel faces getting his face broken in, because you saw the reactions that these guys are scared. They don't know what to do. <laughs> like the best Right. Right, we got a splash page. You don't you don't <laughs> see the head or claws going in into the into the into the neck, but you at least see like some epic moment. Yeah, yeah. There's the plop 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 of of the of the of the skull. You didn't see the blood, you didn't see they didn't have to zoom in. That's not what I'm asking for. I'm just saying just give me something a little bit better. And that's what I was saying about this moment when Wolverine cuts his head off, is that they gave us that epic splash page. Like they they showed Wolverine action. They didn't really see again the claws going in or, or some violent uh, you know, um being torn off of bone. No, they didn't we, we didn't need to see that. We saw what we wanted to see.
0: Epic splash page,
1: we'll like really taking that. care of business.
0: I like what you said. We saw what we wanted to see. You know? I think that in and of itself is the important aspect there. Because even Grant Morrison in Super Gods talks about how in the Avengers. As opposed to in DC Comics. You can. Wrap your head around. The moments that happen between the panels. And we just need the suggestion. We just need the suggestion. Of Wolverine. Raring back. He has the claws. They're sharp. They're double bladed at the end at least. And we can see him. Slash. One way, and there's blood, and he's rearing back to deliver a second attack. And then that we, we see the head goes off. I'm not sure that I need any more, but I understand why this is a pivotal moment. Because this is a pivotal moment. Ma- Magneto has died twice in this storyline. And in the first one, I recall it being a relatively small panel where it made Magneto look... Extremely small in comparison to the amount of sentinels that were coming to annihilate him.
1: Right, he's sitting at the chair, just like looking at a computer screen, and like his like his bots are like, "Hey, we we've got a problem," and he's like, "Huh?"
0: <laughs> Precisely.
1: Yeah, you're 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 perfectly correct. Like we got what we wanted. We got the we got the drama we wanted. We didn't need to see the head come off. Uh, when the head did come off, it was completely silhouetted we didn't have to see the the spinal cord or anything like that but oh, they yeah. did it perfectly right and whether they had to work within the confines of a pg13 or a pg comic book or even a g comic book oh
0: man they got their
1: po- they got their point across this and isn't uh, was-
0: this isn't uh, comics code authority anymore for sure nobody's given a rip about that for a long time right well i guess now- Ultimately, it bleeds into the next storyline. You know, what happens after this? We jump forward past issue 150 of New X-Men into the Planet X storyline. The prophecy of Planet X has been, has happened. Uh, Gene is a phoenix egg in this future. There's the dark beast. Uh, Wolverine still exists for any number of reasons. A reformed Cassandra Nova is there, and she is heroic. You have one of the grandchildren of Beast, or of, uh, not Beast, but Beak. And he's buff and awesome. Don't
1: don't forget the human that was helping. Yeah, Tom Skylark.
0: Tom Skylark and his pet sentinel. I'm going to tell you something that's totally dorky, but um, I have for years wanted... All of these iterations of these characters to be made into hero clicks. I don't know if anybody plays hero clicks anymore. Uh, I feel like there are plenty of them that do. There are only so many people who seem to play that where I live uh, any longer. but um, when this stuff was coming out, I started learning how to play. It took me a lot to get good at it. Um, I'm amazed that it took until last year. For them to even make a, uh, not the Sentry, but a Cree Sentry that was appropriately sized. And I have always wanted a Tom Skylark and Sentinel hero click. Please give me that. WizKids, if you're listening, make Tom Skylark. Happen. Tom Skylark and Sentinel. Could be a peanut base. I don't give a rip.
1: I was torn on this last storyline because I'm so sick and goddamn tired of. Time travel stories with the, <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: and but at the same time though they they executed it really well. Uh, Tom Scarlark was absolutely my favorite character, other than uh, Beak's uh, like great grandson or grandson. Mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly what he was. And the the approachability of Absolute Apocalypse, like everything's going to be done. Yeah, I don't think it was actually Dark Beast. I think it was just a, a, an evolution of Beast where he did become evil. I think uh, when you say Dark Beast, you've got to be careful because then you're going to have to reference, you know, Dark Beast that came from the Age of Apocalypse storyline. I don't think that that's... <sighs> a- I'm
0: sorry, man. It's just so fucking dry in here. All right. nope. Take it from... Uh, I don't think it was Dark Beast, right?
1: I just don't think it was Dark Beast from the Age of Apocalypse storyline. I think it just was uh, taking the idea that Beast is continually evolving, uh, and it was actually Hank not the Dark Beast from Age of Apocalypse. Um, Also, I think that Morrison knew his run was over and was trying to do uh, some sort of planting any seeds he could.
0: It is, in and of itself, its whole own other thing. Uh, Right. He's the White Beast, but somehow or another, this is the last hurrah of John Sublime and the human. Right.
1: Right, In, in the... The anticipation, the foreshadowing, uh, like, like you're just waiting for that pet sentinel to come out of the water. And when it comes out, I mean, like they took you two, three pages for it to happen. But when it happens, it just, it's so glorious. Um, just back to what I was saying, I think he's just trying to plant seeds to try to affect the X-Men universe as much as he can um, because he knew his run was over. He did Zorn. They, they, they messed with it, and he was done. Now, he had Silvestri doing it. I, I, I can't imagine how hard it would be to walk away from uh, a book that Mark Silvestri is drawing for you. Mm-hmm. Not only that he's done with it, knows he's going to move to DC and be done with Marvel, but in, the, in terms of actually affecting X-Men, I want to refer back to Cassandra Nova. I really think that Grant Morrison was trying to influence the X-Men in a uh, – what's the word? transgressive way okay he implanted the idea of doom but to influence not just as a writer this is what's in my mind this is what i'm gonna make the x-men do this is what's gonna happen he implanted himself as actual cassandra nova i really think that that was his consciousness
0: right Okay. okay
1: comic book it even looked like him in a way and what better way to be an even better writer was to find to Find a way to be a better influencer on the actual comic book than just being the writer, but injecting yourself organically as a character now in that regards he's planting seeds from the future because you know they always do future things and there's been a lot of echoes of his of the residual influence he's had i mean Zorn's come back a couple of times and he's not he's not magneto anymore, and they haven't explained yeah. it it's really kind of like uh. Exhaustive how they've done it. They just get off the ground. Exhausting so, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. and But the, they right now, the X Men do have a pet sentinel, and there's a giant rainbow painted on its chest. And Ugh. this thing is absolutely uh, devoted to the X Men and does everything it can. And basically, the idea of like, uh, uh, what, what was it? Uh, Rusty and, and Big Guy the robot. What was it back in the mid 90s?
0: Rusty and Big Guy? Iron Giant? Yeah.
1: No, not Iron Giant. Rusty and Big Guy was. Uh, I, I I'm. I'm. We're gonna have to cut this and fix the right term. <laughs> but the guy that, the guy that drew it is the guy that did all the initial drawings for the Matrix. He did all of the most intricate drawings for. I think His name is Jeff Darrow. Okay. Most intricate drawings for you know just the the seas of you know, um, of pods. You know them growing humans. Oh
0: right right and, right. I got you. The,
1: yeah, I can see why you, you make that connection with the rest, uh, with um, uh, the Iron Giant, the little kid influencing the, the giant robot.
0: Terminator Two, but, Judgment Day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly.
1: <clears throat> and uh, you know the the Phoenix Egg, he did his best. I think uh, he did. He worked with what he could. I again, I was tired of any sort of future stories. I mean, they wrapped it up in kind of a neat little bow that the egg was there. And it kind of uh, influenced Jean's coming back recently.
0: Oh yeah, dude! I don't think she's been around since Grant Morrison killed her. Nope, nope. That is the uh, that honestly, unfortunately, might be the lasting quantifiable aspect of the Grant Morrison run. And thank you for that, because. A world without Jean Grey is a world where we could have Cyclops decide to be a villain. And that is interesting. Yes, sir. And we don't have to bring Jean Grey back for no reason. Like we brought Magneto back immediately. He got killed at the beginning of this. He got killed at the end of this. And then as soon as the Scarlet Witch had been... I think she was killed... At the end of, uh... House of M? Yeah, thereabouts. Uh, Magneto appears and lifts her body off and flies her away. And And we're like, really? Really? You couldn't wait, like, a year? You couldn't wait five years? How long did it take us before Joss Whedon decided inexplicably to bring Colossus back? Isn't Nightcrawler already back? You know, I was
1: just about to bring that up because when they killed Nightcrawler back in, like, late 2010s, um, early 2010s, whatever you want to call it, um, they killed him, like, two years later, he's back. I mean, when he died, I openly wept. I mean, like, it was just beautiful. He, He teleports in front of one of the Nimrods that's trying to kill Hope after she came back from the future. He's got like this robotic hand going through him, saving her from the blow, grabs her, and then boom, teleports from Boston all the way to San Francisco and boom, just dies on the shore. And she's crying, and Wolverine – I mean the, the, the real coup de grace was when Wolverine saw it, and he's just popping his claws so much. His blood is coming everywhere out of his fucking hands, his claws, and he looks at her and said, you better be worth it. And then like, like – It was so epic, and then two years later, he, like, escapes from heaven. It was stupid. Ah. Like, you you put me on that roller coaster, and then you give me his escape from heaven, and there's some stupid pirate story. Like, it was awful. Like, why would you do that to us? Why would you disgrace a, a true blue moment when I openly wept and mourned, literally mourned the death of a fictional character?
0: Dude, they do it to us all the time. Uh, it is it is my solitary angst. No, it's not. I got a lot of things that bother me about. We love comic books. You and I love comic books. We read a lot of comic books. You and I are primarily Marvel fans, which isn't to say that we won't read Vertigo or Image or Dark Horse or DC. I, so I, have, I have some great Batman stuff in there. I have some good Superman stuff in there. And I have an old buddy who wrote Supergirl, and I've got his stuff. Doesn't mean I'm... I just... i i We're Marvel people, you know? You and I. And uh, even our guys, even our team, as if we were following one football team or another, they do stuff that hacks us off. I'm not a Fairweather fan. I'm a fan all the time. But yeah, you can hack me off, and when you kill somebody... And then somebody else gets their 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 hooks into that thing, and they want to bring them back for whatever reason. You better do it for a really fantastic reason.
1: Let's uh, let's wrap this up, man. What yeah. are your last echoes of a? Uh, what are your last echoes of the uh, new X Men Grant Morrison run? Well, we did what we did what we declare officially as a definitive run.
0: Oh yeah, a few years ago somebody said, "Are there definitive runs left?" And I was like. Dude, Grant Morrison for real. That's it, right there. That's that is a definitive run. I had other ones in mind, but this is the definitive run of the X Men, in my opinion. Which isn't to say that the predecessors aren't awesome, but this is this is my favorite X Men of all X Men stories. Uh, what do I take from it? Obviously, the whole Weapon Plus program. Way too amazing. Way too good. Everybody else had to cater to that. What are we still dealing with? Emma Frost. Emma Frost, a forefront A-list character, you know? She was not that before this. Nope. Uh, you've got all this stuff. Cyclops is a bad guy. Cyclops is a good guy. Chuck is... Is Chuck really a good guy? You never know. Chuck can walk. He can't walk. Some of that stuff, ultimately, doesn't really, really matter. I don't know. But, you know, if we live in a world where Mephisto can eradicate Spider-Man's wedding, we live in a world where the mutants can be back in the closet. But screw that, because no one should have to live in the closet. So I hope, and I don't know because I'm not reading every X-Men book, that the X-Men are always out of the closet because Grant Morrison said so.
1: I love that. That's perfect. I have nothing to expand on that. You perfectly encapsulated that. You know, going back and forth between creating great characters that are epic now, that most people would want to ignore. Phantomex, Kid Omega, literally claiming the White Queen, Emma Frost, as his own. And I love your idea and fascination and belief that, yeah, there's no limits to the X-Men. And they should always be out, and they should always be doing what you know, making the hard decisions. Because that's one thing about the X Men I really like is that they always make the hard decisions. They police themselves.
0: Oh yeah, that's a great way to phrase that.
1: They police themselves. And Morrison, I mean, I I, I really wish I could like he could squeeze out his excitement into a, a bowl of excellent whiskey. <laughs> that's what he was happy he was when he was in his heyday enjoying writing something that he probably never thought he'd ever write in his whole life. The X-Men.
0: Uh, he grew up a DC guy, but Marvel's uh, at least the way he tells it, but Marvel, uh, Marvel, Marvel got him first. Hey, let's, let's wrap it up. Let's uh, let's go into 10 questions. I got four. I got five questions to ask you. You have five questions to ask me. All right, let's
1: go. Uh, within the, this us go on what we're talking about. Who is your favorite new character
0: from Grant Morrison's run? New character? Hmm. Oh, it was Zorn. Zorn, the way I read it, and then flipping it into Magneto, I can't say that that wasn't amazing because he spent time on the guy. I was totally duped. It worked. Zorn was Zorn to me until Zorn was Magneto. And uh, maybe I'm a jackass for that, but that's that's my favorite character. What can I say? What's your favorite dramatic moment? Oh, besides that, I mean, definitely Wolverine having to kill Jean Grey. That, that they let, I mean, he led up to that for so much of that issue that issue is – that's one of those ones I found in, in uh, single issues, and I was like, I don't care if this is overpriced. I'm buying this because I have to have it. I've got it in singles. I've got it in hardback, and I will always reference back to that. That was my favorite dramatic moment.
1: I loved the – I loved beak scoring. <laughs> <laughs> I loved – that was my favorite. Like I loved his his – not self-inflicted, but other people inflicted him feeling ugly and then scorned with that super hot
0: mutant. What was her name, Angel? She was not hot. She was disgusting. She got hotter
1: the, yeah, know, the she longer still- she
0: persisted in the story. She was that filthy hot. And,
1: and yeah, at the definitely. same time, I mean, hey, I got to go because I want to go up to the stars and be part of the Shi'ar and be better than I can be here where but- other people look different. Uh, that was my favorite dramatic moment
0: let me uh let me reiterate something. I'm not going to we we're, we're not into shaming people for what they look like, by the way. I got no the, way, the, the, the The character was drawn a particular way and came from a horrible life circumstance and it just seemed like everybody had a different way of doing something with that character. and if I had my druthers when she was forced into X-Men uh, First Class, the movie, I would never have cast an attractive woman to play that role. Uh, but what are you going to do, you know? You're going to cast someone
1: filthy hot. <laughs> <laughs> Is she a porn star? Is she a regular star? We don't know. All right. all right. How I many questions? That was... was that
0: three questions? I got three questions on you. You got What do you got for me? I got a question. What other marvel title would you like for grant morrison to have uh done a run on spider-man oh totally of course how completely no no questions asked spider-man i
1: would like to see what new characters uh to add to the uh, rogues gallery that spidey has i would like to see wow the, the additional problems he would inflict on Parker, because that's oh. one of the things I love yeah. about Parker is him with his problems. And just, you know, getting, like, maybe Frank Quietly. Obviously, he's going to get Frank Quietly. But then let's, let's see who else can fill in the, the you know, the jobber pages when Quietly is, you, know, uh, you know, having a, a dry run and having a little bit of a drawing, uh, dry speak. So to say, you know, how, trying to meet those deadlines. Like, maybe let's, like, why not? give him the realms of Spidey for maybe like 24 issues. And in between those times, rather than get the jobbers, get those up-and-comer guys that are just hungry for it. Let them just go nuts. Why not? Because within the pages of a Grant Morrison book, like we talked about earlier, even if the artwork sucks and is not that good or subpar, why not give it to people that are are really good at at artwork and haven't had a chance to really, you know, you know, stretch their wings.
0: That's what I got. Cool. Uh what shirt are you wearing there?
1: I'm wearing a Bullet Club Kenny Omega Terminator shirt cuz I freaking love the Bullet Club and I'm already mourning it cuz I know that the elite are ready to leave New Japan Pro. Mhm.
0: <laughs> Don't get us started, people. I mean, Agreed. you can get us started. We could do a long box just about <laughs> wrestling and we will, I guarantee it. You like wrestling? Thank- we like wrestling. Joshua's got. Joshua's younger than me, but he's got like a hundred years more on wrestling than I do. He got me into wrestling. I'm interested in wrestling because of him. Uh, yeah, subscribers, if you like wrestling, send us some wrestling questions. I guarantee we will do at least a couple of shows now and then just about wrestling stuff.
1: Absolutely. I'm hungry for it, especially because we watch everything. I mean, I watch Impact, New Japan Pro, Ring of Honor, Lucha Underground, Raw, SmackDown, and even like when I can find like a bootleg copy of like a a pro wrestling gorilla thing, I'm just hungry for it. So, yeah, send that in to us. Another thing that we want to bring up when it comes to wrestling is that we've learned more about writing, learning about how wrestling is actually executed than we did in all our years of actually going to university.
0: I think that's probably the case. I'm not, I mean, I didn't go to school for English. I didn't go to school for writing, but I love to write. Joshua loves to write. I mean, we talk about it all the time. And if there's anything that we can say about what we've been talking about all this time is that the story, the character, the artwork, the inks... Uh, The editing, uh, we're fascinated by the technicality of how it's done. You know, I mean, I don't know. That's that's what what I got to say about that. What uh, What are you looking forward to reading next?
1: What I'm looking forward to reading next, man, I I really couldn't tell you. Uh, Right now, anytime Image comes out with a really good uh, new storyline, like Ice Cream Man, or um, to a lesser extent, like Paper Girls, that I'm just like can't stop reading because I'm just I'm so I'm, – I've gone too far, even when some issues, like, bother me. I just – I'm looking forward to getting some new writers because we've been – not that it's bad. I mean, like, Draczynski, Jason Aaron, uh, Spencer, uh, Kieran Gillian, uh, Brian Michael Bendis, uh, you name it, uh, Brian Wood. Like, they've been writing everything. I want some new good guys to come out and really get a chance to shine.
0: Dude, awesome. What do you got? You got a question? You got anything?
1: No, I'm 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 done, man. I think we perfectly wrapped up what we wanted to talk about <laughs> and explain about a uh, new X Men, man. That's like, that not was...
0: Ten questions. All right, whatever. We're gonna try to we're gonna try to shut things down with just like a fast and furious ten questions. You know, more often than not, we we, we won't have a perfect track record because this is a very organic show and uh we're just gonna we're just gonna belt out what we gotta belt out, but Joshua always great to see your face we're clearly skyping with one another even though we're recording this for your listening pleasure and if you're watching this on uh or if you're listening to this on any other medium you're gonna probably see a lot of the content that we talked about projected with uh stolen screen caps or something or uh photos that i take purposes only yeah i mean we're clearly not trying to rob anybody uh because there you go all right buddy um i'll talk to you uh i'll talk to you tomorrow okay i'll talk to you tomorrow all right right hey
1: welcome to the long box guys we appreciate you like tuning in for our first episode let us know how we can get do better how we suck just email it to us later now bye